Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Get it to the far wing, cleared off the wall and out. That one sent ahead, and Colorado puts it in and scores. They got it up the far wing to the streaking. Ross Colton, who had the last goal that Colorado had scored for the sixth time in eight games. The St. Louis Blues have allowed the first goal of the game. Branton, it shoots, scores. Bennington did it, flinch. Adlek and it screened him right in front. Branton, it goes under the bar. In far wing, quick pass in front, Leckin and tucks it in, score! Blues got caught running around, lost a guy, tap in goal, and instead of a power play goal to tie it, they open up the period, allowing a goal, and it's 3-1 Colorado. That'll do it. A close one going into the third, but then the championship pedigree of the Avalanche took over, and it's a 4-1 final tonight. So it's looking a lot like it did last year. That's what doesn't make me feel good about watching the Blues right now. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Alex, the first, I don't know, games of the year, I watched the Blues and I said to myself, okay, well, at least it's different. They're losing in new ways now. They're going out there and they're kind of suppressing the offense of the opposition. Now, they're not scoring, but they're going about this in a new and in some ways interesting, I guess you could argue, way. Well, the last two games, it's been what we watched last year. They've been outscored in these two games against Vancouver and Colorado by a combined score of 9-1. to Now, in this game against Colorado, I thought they played okay for the most part in the first period. The second period, they looked awesome. And then they completely fell off of a cliff where they were doing the exact same thing that they had been doing last year, where you've got the turnovers, you got the head dip moment with the bad goal that goes in, your defense is getting outskated, you're taking bad penalties. It's everything. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong for the Blues in the third period. Alex, am I missing something? Or are you seeing what I'm seeing where we're starting to see some of the same old stuff pop up again? I feel like I'm living the beginning of Bohemian Rhapsody right now. Is this the real life? Is Is this this just fantasy? fantasy? I'm just making sure everyone was on board with this one. I know that one. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. The uh, the Bon Jovi singing that song, right, T-Bone? That was was about happy things, though, right? This doesn't feel very happy. Isn't the lyrics like... Mama, I killed a man. No. Yeah. Re- read the lyrics, <laughs> man. From the six one eight. Let's hear the excuses, Alex. There's no excuses yeah, on this Alex, one. Let's hear. Yeah. yeah. There's no excuses on this one. Like, I, you were, you played a 
average period in the first because you gave up some chances. You gave up the goals, but I thought the Blues actually opened up that first period as the aggressors. And they had, I mean, look, two minutes into the game, they had the best scoring chance that they had all night with that tap in by Braden Shen that just went, went right into the pads. Second period was a really good period. I mean, you pushed Colorado in a period that they succeed in most on home ice and you outscored them. The third period was when I felt like I was watching the 2022 Blues because you're down by a goal. Your power play has an opportunity to tie things up in a power play that was already 0 for 2. You just needed one goal. And we're talking about a different hockey game. This is how you steal momentum back. Instead, you can't even get into the zone on that power play. Then you allow the other team by a bad turnover to score a goal and put the game out of reach. And from that moment on, when that one mistake was made by Tory Krug, the game just fell apart. And it did feel a lot like last season's team. And this is the first time that I'm saying this this season, because after seven games, I felt like, man, they're there. It's just a matter of getting things connected. Last night was the head dip moment. It felt like the game was out of reach once you made that big glaring mistake in the third period. And then the team was just like, well, this one's out of reach for us right now. And that is very scary because that's what Doug Armstrong talked about coming into the season, evaluating this team as finding ways to stop the snowball, finding ways, making sure that this roster had the correct attitude to push this team into the new era. And that did feel eerily similar last night to the inconsistency and the attitude issue that the blues had. So I got no excuses. That was a game after four days off that you probably should have come out and put it to Colorado in the first two periods. And instead you let them take advantage and you didn't fight back into that hockey game. That's exactly how I felt was it it was a lot of last year reminding of, of, and I think at times we've seen one thing from last year in a game where, whether it be turnovers, I think that's been a constant theme this year, power play struggles, constant theme this year. But last night was the first game where I was like, yeah, that felt like everything from last year. The head dip, the turnovers. Uh, I, I thought Bennington once again gave them a chance to win that hockey game. And again, the inability to play three periods of hockey. that That's the part that is just mind-boggling to me is the fact of the matter that that continues to be an issue to where they can't put together three solid periods of hockey. And again, I think that's been a common theme this year too. So I... I, I've been screaming from the mountaintops from the beginning of this year. They feel like a team that's going to be about 500, too inconsistent to really put anything together. But this is where I'm starting to wonder if we really start to see that snowball start to start rolling downhill here for the St. Louis Blues. We'll see if they can turn it around, but there was a lot of reminders of last year's team, and we saw how quickly that fell off the rails. That stat still remains untouched that Curves put out yesterday. The Blues have yet to have a lead change in a hockey game, which means they have yet to take the lead and give it up or give up the lead this season, which means when a game gets out of reach, they either aren't able to climb back in it or they're not able to hold on to yeah, it. Whoever scores the first goal wins pretty much. That's it. That's how this works. Interesting. Um, and the, and frankly, the power play is the biggest reason why. So let's get to that first. So yesterday I was listening to the post game show. Joey Vitale and Chris Kerber, not the, not the Alex portion. Joey Vitale and Chris hell, Kerber man? were fantastic oh, with their post game breakdown. Man, I thought he was going to compliment me on the great like BK stat dive I did in that game, but instead, nope. Let's go with no, this. No, I wait until I'm like, okay, now we're going to hear from Joey and Kerber. Wow. No, I listened to the whole thing. I think you were great. Wow. Damn it. Joey did say something that Fair. I found interesting. He was talking about how the Blues at five on five have been basically playing teams even much of the season. Now, not the underlying stuff, not not any of that, but. 
the actual goals produced by either side. It's kind of been even-ish for the most part this year. The problem is special teams. Here's what he had to say. Uh, but once they can get this power play going, I think the five-on-five -five play is encouraging because the where, the, how you're keeping yourself in a position in these games, once you get that power play going, I tell you, you're going to start winning some hockey games. PK's been great. Five-on-five uh, -five scoring for the most part has been pretty decent. Get a power play going. Get a couple. Put your opponent back behind their heels, behind the eight ball a little bit, and you're going to start winning some hockey games. Now, I don't agree that the five-on-five -five goal scoring has been decent. It, you're towards the bottom of the league so far this year. In fact, at five-on-five, -five, the only team that scored fewer goals than you is the San Jose Sharks. So I will push back a little bit on that part of it. But, but they're his, getting their chances at five-on-five. His five point on five. remains fair. Like, they've been outscored 15-10 to 10 at five-on-five. Five. That's not ideal, but it's really not all that bad over the course of the first, what is it, eight games of the season? been outscored by five in at five on five you can make that up on special teams you should be able to make that up on special teams but not for this team so far this year on the power play this season the blues are one for 25 let me say that one more time the blues with a man advantage so far this year are one for 25 we should start declining those the average power play in the nhl this year scores roughly 20% of the time. If the Blues had been converting at a 20% clip, which again is not top 10, that is the average in the NHL, you would have five more goals on the season this year from the power play. You know what you've been outscored by so far this year at five on five, Alex? Five goals so far. You'd be an even team. We're talking about an even team if you just had an average power play this year. But they have been so far below average that they're the worst power play unit in the league. And so far at this point in the season, the second worst power play in the history of this franchise. The only other time in this franchise's history in which they have scored one or fewer goals on the power play through eight games was 1973. What happened We're talking that year? about one of they ended up with six overall pick. We're talking about one of the most inept, <clears throat> unopportunistic, like just horrible power play units that we've ever seen in the history of watching the St. Louis Blues. Which is insane because the power play was supposed to be the strength for this team that, that coming into this season. They felt like that they actually had a little bit more evened out units. You had some big bodies that were in front of the net. You had your uh, power play quarterback that said he was motivated coming into the season and that guy has zero points on the season so far. Um, now I did the deep dive. Now if you were actually listening to the post game, you heard the best part of the night which was me. Um... That one for 25 power play that we're talking about. So it's had the opportunity to take the lead in a hockey game seven oh separate times. Oh, God. And they haven't scored on those. So seven oh different times this season, you've had the chance to take the lead in a hockey game. And remember, you haven't given up the lead when you've taken it. You've missed that. You've had the chance to tie the game twice. And not only have you not scored in those two opportunities, but you gave up a goal to the opposition two times well, on both of those on both of them less than two oh, minutes no. after that power play it was 39 seconds and then a minute and 38 seconds that you gave up a goal when you could have tied it on the power play <laughs> Yikes. and then when you've had the chance to extend the lead to make it a two goal lead you didn't score and you gave up a goal at the end of that power play so this power play not only has been bad it's been costing you games 10 times this season you've been able to put away games and you've missed out those opportunities. That's, to me, the biggest problem right now. We yeah. talk about momentum. We talk about how this team can sway it in their 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 uh, their their path. Sorry, brain fart here. 
I'm on a roll. Shut up, BK. No, I mean, these are great numbers. You're you're really getting to, like, I, I like all of this, but we the, just had a sh- yeah. short circuit moment. We're, I mean, we're honestly talking about three other games that you're coming away with at minimum another point. Yeah. And instead, your power play has put you in a position for this team to have the head dip moment and say, well, not only can we not score on the power play, but now we're giving up the goal to the other side. That's a problem. And the problem for the Blues is you're putting yourself so far behind the eight ball. Like, I understand, we said this yesterday, the NHL Central Division, it's not very good around you, so it's not as if you're, you know, 10 points behind the third place team in the, the division. That's not the case, but... You're putting yourself now into a position where the team, the feel around the team is becoming more negative by the day because of the lack of offense that you're generating on the power play. The craziest part, man, I thought the power play got some good chances last night. They're just not going in. Earlier this year, it wasn't generating chances, and now you're getting the chances, and they're not going in. But you know why they're not going in? It's because you don't have that one-timer threat. The shots that you're taking are going right into the gut of the goaltender. Shin last night. Shin's opportunity. He puts it on. He he has a really good opportunity. If he's got a one-time shot, boom, it's right off of his stick. Instead, he waits for a second, takes an extra moment to see it, then tries to shoot. It might have been deflected. Not totally sure what happened on that one, but ends up going up and it ricochets and goes completely out You watch the best power plays. The best power. They have threats on both sides. Joey talks about this all the time. They have power play or one-time threats on both sides. The goal of that power play is to get the four guys that are in front of the net to shift far side, to chase the puck holder so that they can make the pass and get the one-time shot off as the goaltender is moving post to post. They don't do that. They're so one-sided, one-dimensional in the terms of they get the shot, they got to dust it off and then take the shot. The goaltender's already set and you're getting it right into the paths. Anybody out there that thinks we're being too hard on this team, just go ahead and listen to what Paul Bessonette had to say last night. They've turned over the puck a hundred times that period. I could have dressed as a defenseman. <laughs> Pathetic, man. That was that was a pawn hockey right, right there. You're right. Our goalie maybe should have stopped it too. On that one? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to comment on that. Well, you see the puck fluttering. Yeah. How, I mean, how hard a shot was well, I, think, I think he was so distracted at the fact that the, <laughs> the defenseman was slow. <laughs> he, I mean, Talk always talks about as a defenseman angling off going yeah. forward. He had that angle on him. And then all of a sudden, he just started backing up, and, and then the, the wheels yeah. fell off. Are you I'm suggesting you that Biz could have played goalie tonight? I'm not. Yeah, okay. he can, whatever you want, Biz. I'd love to <laughs> really believe you could have played D out there. I think I could have survived that period <laughs> and, and not looked out of place as far as how the St. Louis Blues defense played. I'm with and you. And we could leave it I'm at with that. You. Thank you. There Thank you go. go. I'm glad you're here, though. I mean, go I'm... back. If, if St. Louis D want to get offended by that, they should go back and sit down as a team and watch that period on how many turnovers they had from the blue line with complete control of the puck. Well, I'll be turning on the next episode of Spit and Chicklets to see what he's got to say <laughs> a follow-up with that. <laughs> Not great, you know? I mean, look, he's talking about that Ross Colton goal. Or Ross Colton. Of course he is. Of course it's Ross. God! (laughs) Ross Colton! He was right there, man! I told you about him. I wish he'd listen. Hey! hey, hey. You know how many people we had on the text line for the month that we spent on Ross Colton? Ross Colton's not that good of a player. What do you want Ross Colton for? He can't do anything. (sighs) Traded a second-round draft pick for him. we We got Kevin Hayes, man. Yeah, four million bucks could have been so good on this team. For Alex and T Bone on BK, we got to get to Joey Vitale next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Joey Vitale views things a little differently. Just imagine how he looks at hockey. Whoa! This is the view from Vitale, brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite contractor. 
BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And right now we're happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Joey Vitale. He's the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. He was in Denver last night for the Blues loss on the road at Colorado. He joins us as he does each and every Thursday here on BK and Ferrario. Joe, appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing on this beautiful Thursday morning? Joey, Joey, Joey. Ah, Doing great. Doing great, fellas. I appreciate the pump up. Needed it today. Got it late. (laughs) Late this morning, 3.30, we finally got in from Denver. It ended up becoming almost an 8 o'clock start in Denver. And so a quick turnaround into today, but I tell you what, it's a, it's a beautiful day here in St. Louis. And uh, hoping hoping for some Blues wins starting tomorrow night. we got to start piling us up in a better direction. Joe, I didn't even get to ask you last night on the broadcast, but how, how was Halloween, my man? Did you get a, a big oh, boatload of candy? Halloween was great. Uh, my kids, uh, they, they were a little unwilling at first but then they finally Smart. buckled I, I got i got my only rule of halloween people have lots of halloween rules stay together make sure you check in i don't have any rules like that i got the only rule is make sure every single Reese peanut butter cup in your bag comes into my belly by the end of the night <laughs> that's really all that matters i got a nice little stash in the freezer I, I basically go through all my kids candy bags i get all the Reese peanut butter cups they become mine so all in all, I think I got about 13 or 14 packages so i would say my halloween was great alex thank you for asking nailed it that many Reese's Pieces Buttercups, you're good to go. Yeah, I, Reese's Peanut Buttercups are easily number one. The, uh, those are the top uh, of the list. I don't know about that one, Are though. you a Snickers guy? I'm a Snickers guy. A I'm a Twix guy, too. What the hell is that, that supposed to mean? That makes sense for you. <laughs> Have a Snickers. You're not yourself when you don't <laughs> eat. Snickers are good. You need, you need a little texture. You know, and you, it kind of feels like you're you're getting a little protein in your system yeah. by having the nuts. So yeah, I, I, I need some it. nuts in the chocolate. I got it. Yeah, no, it's all yeah. good. No, it was... Uh, it was wonderful. It was, uh, it was a great, Good great night. It was a little chilly, which was a uh, a little unfortunate. A little chilly, Joe. It was freezing. So, Joe, I, I, it's thirty five degrees. I took Adelaide out, and she was out there for like fifteen minutes, and said, "Daddy, cold. I want to go in." I'm like, "Oh, okay, we're good." Honestly, though, I think that's. I, I, at first, when I was like heading out there, my oh, this is kind of a bummer for the kids. From the parents, I think it actually worked out perfectly because you really only want to be out doing this like 30, 45 minutes. Then you want to come back. So I'd say, what, by 8.30, I was cracking open a bottle of wine with my wife on the porch, and the kids were already kind of trading candy upstairs. So it actually worked out pretty well. Yep. All right, Joe, let's uh, talk a little bit about this hockey team. Uh, I was listening to your breakdown last night, and you were talking about, hey, at 5-on-5, this really isn't so bad right now. Unfortunately, the power play hasn't come through. We just got done finished discussing that as well. What's up with this power play, Joe? What's your diagnosis of it? Well, you know, I talked to Braden Shen about this, too, on the plane ride. Um, You know, he's always just – he's so full of knowledge of the game, and he's got such a good temperature for the game, and – and he just kind of wanted to see, you know, hey, what is what, what am I seeing from up top? What are you thinking? And and I just asked a ton of questions to him. And and you know, I think we we connected on, on one thing in particular, which was, uh, I mean this sincerely. I'm not just saying this because uh, I'm biased, but this team is is not as far off as I think a lot of people may think. And I know you look at the score last night as a bit of a shellacking four-one, but that game was a lot tighter than you think. You look at that game um, heading into the third period; they had a power play. It's a one-goal game, one shot in this game is tied up. I mean, it's just been that close. Vancouver was a pretty lopsided one, but you look at their good performance in Calgary. They played good enough to win in Winnipeg. They had a couple of posts, missed a few breakaways in Winnipeg. So uh, the, the point of it all is that this team. I know that they're in a little bit of down the dumps, and they're they're finding themselves on the outside looking in. 
but but it's really really close. I think that the five on five scoring has uh, evaporated a little bit. I think that they're still getting used to this new defensive system, uh, the new defensive scheme, and they're they, they're struggling to find five on five offense. But not because they're not getting quality chances. I mean, you look at that game last night. Braden Shen on the back door. That could have been that could have been a tap in. They end up missing. Colton Brake will hit the post. Sammy Belay had a wonderful grade eight chance. And this, these, these three chances, guys, are all in the game zero zero. So you put one of those away, and all of a sudden this may be a completely different game. Or maybe in the power play in the third period, you get back and you tie the game, and it's a completely different game as well. So with that being said, uh, five on five, the chances are there, and they know it's close, and they got to start taking advantage of that, and they know that. But the power play, to me, this is where the Blues are going to make the playoffs this year if they can figure out how to get this power play humming. Because defensively, it's looked, again, pretty, pretty good. I mean, Colorado, one of the best teams in the league, they had, had them at one goal all the way to the third period. I think the second period against Colorado last night was maybe some of the best defensive hockey we've seen St. Louis play. All the speed, all the weapons of Colorado. They play a fast transition game, especially in Colorado, and they didn't give that McKinnon line a sniff. I mean, completely just uh, just uh, uh, disappeared from that period was McKinnon and Ranson in line. So that kind of goes to show you how well this defensive structure can look when you play heavy defense and you're, and you're not going to get a lot of five on five scoring, and maybe you're not uh, taking advantage of the chances five on five. This is where you have to win games or your power play. You have to figure out a way to get a goal, get two. Uh, maybe at the end of the night you win three to one with an with empty netter and the first two goals were those power play ones. And, and yes, you're not getting a lot five on five, but you have to get this power play going. Uh, I think it, uh, they're still trying to figure out a way to establish one-timer. You have Yaku Verana in the lineup last night. They didn't really get as many looks to him as, as they were hoping for. Uh, and the other thing that I noticed, and you just kind of compare the, the power plays last night, and, and it's not really fair to compare, but it kind of goes to show you what an elite power play looks like and what the Blues have to get to. But you look at you look at the Blues, a uh, little bit stagnant, not a ton of movement. They're very positionally sound, looking for the perfect pass. On the flip side, let's look at one of the best power plays in the league like we saw last night, constant movement. I mean, McKinnon's at the blue line uh, being the quarterback. Then he's on his one-timer spot on the right side. Then at one point he was on the left side by the goal line. Then he was behind. I mean, there's just constant motion with those high-skilled players. Uh, That's what a good power play looks like. And for St. Louis, it's really about how do we just take that next step to try to get there. Joe, you mentioned Braden Shen, and this is a guy who I know does so much more than people see on the stat sheet. And after a game, they're like, ah, oh, the captain, Braden Shen's not doing anything. There's a lot more that he's doing. But it does seem like he's going through it a little bit. Do you get that vibe talking to him? Definitely. Definitely, Alex. I think that you know he, he's fighting it a little bit. You know, he was a bit quieter last night. Um, and I think that he's, as a captain – you, you no longer just feel the woes of your own personal world, right? When, when you have a C on that, on that sweater, uh, you, you take on the personality of the team. When the team's doing well, you, you have to figure out a way to how do we keep this thing going. And the toughest part of being a captain is when you're in, you're in situations like this where the team is struggling and you're struggling to find your game. Uh, that's what's been really hard. I think for Braden, it's been a transition. I think he's the first one to tell you. You go back to the home opener against the Seattle Kraken a couple weeks ago. We're over there at Union Station. as a pep They're on stage with Cubs and I. We took a card to go from the Enterprise to Union Station, and I just asked him, how's the adjustment been? And he, he just said, honestly and frankly, he said, listen, it's just been different. You know, I'm, I'm not used to doing this. He goes, look, it's an opening game. That I'm on the ice in two and a half hours. I'm going to Union Station for a party. It's just, it, again, it's, it's what captains do. It's the new responsibility that you take upon yourself. 
Uh, so he fully embraces it. But but let's let's not kid ourselves. It's an adjustment. It's a big time adjustment. It's not just your world anymore. You have to be looking after uh, talking to the media. You have to be doing pep rallies. You have to be the first one when they have you know Halloween parties um, for you know children uh, at, at Missouri Baptist to come over. And you have to be present. You have to be engaging. I mean, there's there's a different level of responsibility when you were. And I think I think he's feeling that. I think he's really, and it's going to take some time, but he is adjusting to that. And I think that as this uh, season continues, I know for a fact he he would love to a get on the board, but more importantly, uh, as selfless of a player as he is, he wants to see this team kind of get back on the right tracks. But at the end of the day, you know, as a captain, the best way to help your team is to take care of yourself and take care of your game. And I think right now he's just uh, continuing to sort that out in his own head. Joe, final question that I've got for you. You mentioned last night at the end of your breakdown uh, post game that you think we could see a few different players in the lineup whenever they take the ice once again against the New Jersey Devils. What kind of changes do you foresee taking place with this team, if any? Well, I, one's going to be the goaltender because we have the, another back-to-back this weekend. You know, who will get the start uh, tomorrow against the Devils? Who's going to get the start uh, on the following night against the Montreal Canadiens? They do look a lot into past history. Um, you looked at Jordan Binning's last road trip, who typically had really good games in Vancouver, and that's why Joel Holford got the uh, game in Calgary game. So I think they're going to see a goaltender shift here a little bit and at least get someone else in the net. Uh, that's the obvious one. Uh, I think Scott Furnovich is, is a player they need to get in there. they got to figure out a way to get him more minutes, get him more reps. Um, I don't know if I uh, loved Tyler Tucker last night. I thought at times he, he looked great. I think at other times you know, he's still trying to find his game. It's a hard thing for a young player to kind of come in, come out. You're trying to constantly impress your coaches and impress your teammates, and you're trying to do everything you can. But but this league is a very tough league, and that was a very good team they played last night in Colorado. And I think at times he got a little bit exposed. So it would not shock me one bit to see Scott Prudovich uh, back in the lineup, maybe a Robert Bortuzzo. Keep in mind, um, you know, BK, they went to that 11-7 set in Calgary. They did the same in Vancouver. I get that. But in Calgary, it certainly worked pretty well with Bortuzzo and Scott Prudovich in the mix there. So that's kind of one adjustment, I think. Uh, I think you got to get Alexandrov in there. I think you know he's a forechecking responsible uh, player where I think that they need a little bit more of that. Uh, Yaku Verana ended up becoming the scratch uh, in, that, in that Canadian swing trip uh, because he was a little bit too much in the perimeter. You know, I think Craig Brewery wanted to see him dig his heels in a little bit, get to the, get to the front, work hard on the forecheck. Uh, did he do enough of that last night to, to stay in the lineup? I'm not quite sure. Uh, so I think Alexandrov could be another little shakeup right there. And, and I think this head coach is going to continue to shake things up uh, from a lineup from top to bottom. How do you find the chemistry? Uh, Adam Gaudet is a player that a lot of people are talking about. Uh, he's having an incredible start in the American Hockey League, former Northeastern Husky, and he's got eight goals on the year so far. So is it is it a call-up situation where you've you got to run a hot hand, like what Colorado did with Tufty? Uh, the other day, he was ripping up the American League. you got to give a guy an opportunity. And uh, possibly we've seen Adam Gaudet at some point uh, this weekend, or maybe even to next week with how well he's playing down there. So with the team struggling like the Blues have over the last two, uh, again, it's close, but you're not getting the results you want. I think it's only the head coach's responsibility to continue to move things around and shift things around until you get the result you need. Joe, appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy yourself in this uh, this upcoming homestand, which is going to be nice for you to be able to be at home for a little while. We appreciate the time as always. We'll talk with you again next week, my friend. Hey, sounds great, BK and Alex and uh, Tanner. Thank you, guys. You guys have a great day. See you, Joey. That's Joey Vitale joining us as he does each and every Thursday throughout the hockey season here on BK and Ferrario. Always appreciate his time. If you missed any of it, check it out on the podcast after. 
podcast page after the show today at 101ESPN.com or the free 101ESPN app. It's always presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, if they end up sitting Yakub Rana in this game, I, I'm not even like I'm done being upset about anything they do. It It is what it is. I think that at that point, it's t- it will probably be time for us to have a conversation early next week about whether or not they're going to wave Yakub Verona. Yeah, I um, mean, you got to always have those conversations if you're not seeing him in the lineup. And look, I, he wasn't noticeable last night. And I mean, what Craig like it or not, if you don't like the decisions that Craig Berube makes and what they want out of him, if he's not that guy, it's the head coach, and he's telling the player he needs this from him, and if he's not going to provide that, he's not going to play. If they think Nikita Alexandrov helps them more than Yakub Verona, and I'm not selling, saying they're right or wrong. I disagree with it. I think Verona in the right position can help this team. I think you need his offense because I think they struggle offensively, so that's my personal opinion on it. But clearly the coaching staff has more information on this. They know more about the player. They know more about he's fitting into the team. Clearly, they're not seeing enough from that player. If they don't view it as him being a piece that's going to help them long term, then bring somebody else up who can. Yeah. You know, and whether that's somebody that's already in the system, bringing up a Godette who Joey Vitale just mentioned, bringing up a Bull Duke, maybe it's going to the outside and finding somebody that's currently a free agent that you can bring in for a couple million bucks. It opens up some cap space that you can potentially play with. You tried the Verona thing. It appears to be not working very well for them. And there's probably going to become a point in time if it continues heading in this direction where uh, he might not be a part of the roster long term. That's not that's pure speculation by me. But I think we can all see the writing on the wall if in four games he is sitting up in the press box three separate times. Yeah. And I mean, look, Alexandrov really isn't the answer. Alexandrov becomes a fourth line player for you and you're pushing a Sammy Blade back up and trying to get more out of him. That's fine. But you're getting slower in that sense. This is just the, the way that this offense is going to work is what Joe just mentioned. You're forechecking, you're winning the puck battles, you're getting the puck in deep and you're coming away with it. And if Ferran not going to do that, then the shot's not going to matter. If you're not holding the puck, the shot doesn't matter. So you bring up an Adam Gaudet, maybe you put a Zachary Bolduke in this position to see if he can start learning the system sure. a little bit more. But yeah, if you're, been, if you're in the press box once again, it's probably going to be a mutual decision that it's like, hey, this isn't working out for either of us. And I think us. the Blues have learned their lessons in this regard. I think they learned their lesson last year of trying to make things work longer than maybe what they should have. And that, it was totally understandable. The, the players weren't as replaceable as Jakub Verona uh, was last year. They probably learned their lesson because they did this with Mike Hoffman. That was the one that I was going to oh, bring okay, up. Oh, okay, sorry. That, that was the real lesson to be learned as they continue trying and trying and trying and mm-hmm. trying. And eventually... You hit your head on the wall so many times, you just break your skull. Yeah. And that's what they're not going to do this year. They're they're not going to keep hitting their head against the wall and hoping that something ends up working. And just out for, for people that are that are frustrated with this, and look, I get it. Like you need more offense, and this is a guy that provides the offense. Look at what Colorado did last night. Like they got a player that basically is about as similar as to Yuku Verona as you can ask in Jonathan Druin. They signed him to a contract to bring him in because they thought his offense could be good in the top six. It hasn't translated. He's played eight games. He doesn't have a goal. He's only got an assist. And their coach basically said, we need him to play into our system. Mm-hmm. And he was a healthy scratch last night. Like this isn't like every other team in the NHL is going to be playing Yuku Verona in their top six. If you're not matching the identity of what the coach wants, you're not going to play. Yeah, and Jonathan Drew signed this offseason for a vet minimum yeah. deal, so it, it was a little less because money. Because it hasn't worked elsewhere that he was. Tomas Tatar was also a healthy scratch last night, yeah, too, that, right? well that Yeah, but that was the, the tufty that um, uh, Joey mentioned. They wanted him in because they wanted more size. Bednar said we needed to get to the front of the net more. Right, but that guy makes a million and a half. Yeah. Like, that's another player that they're You they're bring deciding. in guys that do what the coach wants. Exactly. That's and what this is. This team right now is a player 
who I like, I, I think helps you, but he doesn't fit. And, and if if you're trying to continue to have this square peg fit into a round hole, it's, it's just not going to fit, guys. It's not. And eventually, I think they're probably going to have to make that decision. Again, that is assuming that he's somebody that ends up sitting up in the press box once again on Friday. You just need more flexibility yeah. with, with this roster. You got to Alexandrov is not the answer. No. I think we know that he's yeah. not a guy that you want in this lineup regularly. Probably a placeholder until you decide if Bullduke's ready or you do give exactly. Adam Gaudet or you bring back Nathan Walker coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Three, one, four, three, nine, 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 six, four, six is the air comfort service X slide. We'll get to questions and answers, but next I think there are two people who clearly changed their legacies with their win of the world series yesterday. T-Bone had one more to add to the list earlier today. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's happened! The Texas Rangers win the World Series! Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. That's what it sounded like last night on Fox. As the final call was put in, the Rangers end up winning the World Series. Not a whole lot of drama in that one. They win it in five games. Imagine uh, getting shut out in a do-or-die World Series game. I mean, the, for six innings, it was a really compelling baseball game. Uh, Zach Gallen went out there and pitched his ass off. And then the oh, Rangers man. got to their bullpen, and it was over. All those winning players in the World Series. T-Bone said, I think it was at the beginning of this series, and we all agreed with him, but I think he was the first to say it. Hey, Seven games. Whoever the first is to break through the other team's bullpen, that's going to be where this series is decided. And that was exactly the case. The Rangers' bullpen, it bent, but it didn't break, and the Diamondbacks' bullpen broke. And when their bullpen broke, the Rangers are the winners, and that's the way that it goes. The victors get to write the history, and they are the victors. So when you have history that is written after a series like this, we talk a little bit about legacy, right? I, I find that to be the more interesting part of this because, frankly, the series wasn't all that compelling in my mind. Corey Seager just became one of the best postseason players that we've seen in the last decade. I mean, when I think about playoff performers in recent memory, David Ortiz jumps off the page. Madison Baumgartner from a pitching perspective is a guy that jumps off the page. Those are the two guys in like the last decade that are that way. I mean, David Freeze had one of the all-time great runs, but it was one year where it was confined for him. Uh, some of these other players that we're talking about, it was multiple seasons. Corey Seager was amazing in 2020 for the Dodgers in that fraudulent season that happened during the pandemic. But he was awesome, so I'll give him the credit. So where hold it's on, earned. it was a fake World Series during a fake season, but he was awesome for that fake team and the fake Correct. season of the and fake year. So since the year. stats technically count, we'll go ahead and give him the okay. credit for it. Good. This year, he was once again the reason why the Rangers, probably the main reason, why they ended up winning the World Series. So he wins MVP. He is the fourth player with multiple World Series MVP trophies since the award was first given out in 1955. The others, Alex, are unbelievable names to be associated with. Sandy Koufax, Bob Gibson, and Mr. October Reggie Jackson. 
he is the only player other than Reggie Jackson to do it with multiple teams. Yep. That is one hell of a legacy, man, to be able to leave on this sport is a when this guy's healthy. He's like the best player in October that you've ever seen. It's unbelievable. I, I mean, like you, we all saw the graphics that Fox had of calling him the new Mr. October. The same games played. We're talking about more home runs, more total bases and the same RBIs. And you're 29 years old. And that's the other thing. You're 29 years old right now and you've put up these incredible numbers. He's built a legacy that is considered a guy that when you get to the postseason, you know you've got a chance to win it all because you have that player. And if you think of other teams just in recent histories because of that, like you're thinking of the Dodgers. Now, now his numbers don't look great, but when you had Clayton Kershaw dealing, you're like, oh, man, the Dodgers are going to be tough to deal with. When you look at the Braves, even though they've only won it once. Jordan Alvarez is on this list. Jose Altuve is on, on this list. Yeah, I mean, Bryce the, Harper is now on this list. For the longest time, Carlos Correa was on this list with the Astros because yep. of he and Altuve. So what you have created if you're Corey Seager is being 29 years old still having probably five six seven more years and being already considered one of the best playoff uh, performers now the other guy that is being discussed because of what he was able to accomplish during this World Series and what he was able to do in his first year back uh, inside of the dugout is Bruce Bochy he is one of now six managers to win four World Series in his career the only other to do so, though, in the last 50 years, so the modern era of baseball, is Joe Torre. And he did it with the Yankees, where they were just outspending everybody at a time where the Yankees were just on a completely different level than everybody else in the sport. TLR won three. He did so in the last modern era of baseball as well. Guys, is Bruce Bochy the best manager of this era? Is that now what we have to claim him to be? I mean, because I, of what he was able to accomplish in his first year down in Texas? I would say so. I mean, first year in Texas, I mean, it's not like you were gifted a, a New York Yankees team where you spent all this. Like, they spent a lot of money, but think about it. Like, you lost your best pitcher. Oh, the, he deserves a lot of credit for them yeah. being able to navigate through this postseason. And even though Sanford's bullpen was... Phew. Yeah. And then you lose Max Scherzer, who you acquire in the uh, in the trade deadline. But, I mean, even yeah, beyond... Yeah, and Scherzer both out for yeah. the postseason, basically. But I even mean, Scherzer, even that, when he pitched, wasn't all that look great. Look at the roster they had in San Francisco. I mean, like, they were good players, but it's not like you had the elite of the elite in almost every category. You got the best out of that team. Yeah. So, I mean, I look at Bruce Bochy, and frankly, I think what he has done in his career is more impressive because of the rosters that he's had and where he's moved. I look at that as more impressive than what Corey Seager has already accomplished because Bruce Bochy has some type of secret sauce and making locker rooms and clubhouses click so that they can become a team that wins a world series. Yeah. It's incredible what he's done. And I, I think I would say he probably is the best manager of this generation because of what Alex just said. Every one of the teams that he's had, that's gone on to win a world series have never really been viewed as like, Hey, this team is like just built for October. They are a perfect, they're like the Atlanta Braves, a dominant offense, great front end starters and a great bullpen. Every team he won the world series with was a wild card team, correct? Cause the yeah, three teams that he did it so. with in San Francisco were, and then this team in Texas was as well. My, I think that's right. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think the Giants ever had first place. But yeah, he... Oh, 2010. 2010, they won the division that they year. They did? Yep. They won the division that year. They won 92 games, though, so it's not like they were... Um, oh, a so a Cardinals division Overwhelmingly win. great. Exactly. Yeah, it was an NL Central type. Doesn't really count. Yeah. 2012, they were a division winner as well? Yeah, what am 94. I doing over here? My bad. Jesus. BK's over here Are giving we you sure the other one wasn't 2014, though, they definitely were Are the we sure? wild card. They were <laughs> Are we sure? I'm looking at it. I'm misremembering that. But anyways, the last two teams that he's won the World Series with That's a good nickname. Corey Seager's Mr. October, you're misremember. <laughs> <laughs> but, but either way, I mean, most of those teams... 
they were not viewed as like a dominant, hey, they're going to be the pick to no. win the World Series. They, they never were. And he's able to manage his way through it. Because, like, I think back to those teams, and though you had, like, Travis Ishikawa that helped them get past the Cardinals in, what was that, 2012 or 2014? You you think of those teams, and it was, okay, you got Buster Posey, you've got Sandoval. And that was really it in the lineup. But you had Crawford as well, if I remember correctly. But then you always had one starting pitcher that was dominant. This year it was Evaldi. Mm-hmm. In that run, it was Bumgarner. And then you had a bullpen that you looked at and went, okay, this bullpen's okay. They got a couple of back-end relievers, but they've got to piece it together the rest of the way. And that's been the formula for him every postseason that he's won. And the, to be able to do that is incredible because I thought going into this, like I thought their offense could help carry them. But I thought at some point in this run, because they had to start in the wild card round, I thought at some point in this run the bullpen would come back to haunt them, and it really never did. They made the game a little bit more interesting in Game 4, but this bullpen was just fine. Like He he did a great job of being able to use those pieces, using starters as bullpen arms, and find a way through it. It's all about the vibes, man. It is. It's all about the vibes. And Bruce Bochy has good vibrations going through his clubhouse anytime that he makes it into the postseason. And I like I say that kind of as a joke, but also kind of seriously. Like I I think that that's part of the secret sauce with Bruce Bochy as your manager is kind of makes guys feel good. He makes them have more confidence because he's the guy that is pulling all of the strings. So credit to him. I, I think he at this point has to be stated as the best manager of this generation. And that's that's a Hall of Fame resume that he's put together now uh, based on what he's done as the manager. Those are two guys that are getting a lot of the discussion, though, nationally. I do think there's one other player that we does, we need to talk about. And T-Bone mentioned it before the show today. I, I heard some discussion about it last night as like the fourth or fifth most interesting piece of the World Series. You can make an argument this is maybe the most important piece when it relates back to the Cardinals. What Nathan Avaldi was able to do this postseason for them by winning, what was it, five games in this postseason run for the Rangers? Man, that is the kind of thing that Bruce Bochy needs. He had Madison Bumgarner. That was the formula for them in the 2012 and 2014 run was, hey, we're just going to ride this horse all the way to the finish line. He did that again with Nathan Avaldi as his number one starter, which is nothing short of remarkable, man. What a, what a run for Nathan Avaldi this year in the postseason as well. Yeah, Avaldi should be viewed as maybe not at the same level as Bumgarner, but should be viewed as one of the best postseason pitchers in this era of baseball because he's been dominant. I mean, five and zero in the in the postseason. He only had one start that was really bad, and that was Game One of the World Series, four and two thirds, five earned runs. But his team ended up winning that game. The rest, six and two-thirds, one earned, seven, one earned, six, three earned, six and a third, two earned, six innings last night, no earned. And by the way, that was an incredible tightrope dance by Nathan Avaldi. It, last it was night. amazing. I mean, he's he's been great. And I just I looked up his postseason numbers, three ERA in his career in 17 games and 12 starts. He's nine and three in the postseason. And and he's been incredible. He's holding opponents to a 574 OPS in Jeez. October. Jeez. That's what you need from a guy that's and, and he is a starter slash a bullpen arm, depending on how you need him. If they had a healthy DeGrom and a healthy Scherzer, he's probably a bullpen arm for them in that series. If, so if he's I could incredible. tell you if I told you right now. The guy that you signed to be your second best starter this offseason does for you during the regular season, and then you hope he can do for you in the postseason what Nathan Avaldi was able to do this year for Texas. You're signing up, right? 25 uh, starts for them this year, 145 innings, 3.6 ERA. The second best starter that you signed this offseason gives you that next year. You're in? Yeah. I would say so. I don't know how you wouldn't be in on something like that. I, I think the question is, like, can he do in the postseason what Avaldi has? And that's, we just don't know. We don't know because most of the, 
The thing that was important about them signing Evaldi, he had this history. We've seen him raise his game in the postseason before. And so it, it was a known with him. It's it, so unfortunate that he's not available this offseason because he would be the ideal candidate for the Cardinals to sign. And I know a lot of people looked at Evaldi when he was a free agent, I think last year, if I remember yep. correctly. And they said, well, he's got an injury history. Yeah, but that dude's always available in October. I mean, you just said he pitched, what, 140 innings? He he covered, I think, what was it? Double check in here. But he he would have covered basically like 180 to 200 innings this year based on the numbers he's able to pitch in October. I mean, he's incredible. He get, Though he may deal with injuries in the regular season, he somehow finds a way to be healthy by the time you get to October and then take his game to the next level. He ended up with 35 innings this postseason. So about 170. So, and frankly, right that's, around 180 that's what innings. this team really needs to focus on this offseason. Like, as much as you want that star-studded stuff, I would really like to have guys who can do it on the biggest stage. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, we'll get to a brief edition of Questions and Answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314399646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this from the 636. Guys, we've talked a little bit about the call-ups for the Blues. Have Bolduke or Dean been performing well enough in Springfield to, to deserve a promotion? Alex, I'm going to be yeah. totally candid. <laughs> I have not looked at what they have done so far this year. I, I look, I, I, I updated every second intermission on our broadcast, but I haven't watched them play. Uh, Bolduke's got a goal and an assist, and I think it's like a minus three. And Dean has an assist and is a minus five. But these guys are playing on the third line for the Springfield Thunderbirds. So, no, they're not playing to the level that you would call them up and say, welcome to the NHL, guys. I mean, you got two 20-year-olds that are playing in professional hockey for the first time. So, no, as bad as this season is, you only bring them up if this is a rebuild. And if you're not focused on this being a rebuild, which they're not, you're not going to stunt their growth. You're going to keep them in the minors. You're going to let them play the season out as it goes. And as soon as they start to improve, then you give them a cookie at the NHL level. You know, I wonder if we see is uh, Nathan Walker. You'll see Nathan Walker and you'll see Adam Goddard. Yeah. If, if there's anybody you're calling up, it would be those two. Because Walker, we all know how he plays. Adam Goddard was just named the player of the month in the AFL, AHL with nine goals. Those are the guys you're calling up. Goddard has NHL experience as yeah. well. He's played with Vancouver he's been in Chicago yeah. he spent basically all of two years ago with Ottawa now d- didn't put up big numbers no, with he's any a of third these or teams, fourth line player but has NHL experience nonetheless those are probably the guys that you're calling yeah. up right now uh 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line from the 618 guys if you're Chicago why would you trade a second round pick for sweat instead of a third round pick for Chase Young feels like they botched this I'm surprised by how much blowback this trade has been receiving I thought it was a more than reasonable deal for them. Now, you have to resign him, and that gives the player a ton of leverage. So you're going to have to overpay him. He's going to end up getting way more money than what Montez Sweat is actually worth. But that being said, he doesn't have the injury history that Chase Young has. There have always been questions about Chase Young's work ethic, not in terms of like, is this guy going to care about football? But he does, according to some of the reports that have come out of Washington, freelance more than what you'd like and there are coaches that just don't want that on their team right or wrong so i think that's why they decided to go with montez sweat a second round pick is the going rate for a really solid to good defensive end 
and they have all of the money in the world. Like, there's nothing that they're going to be or that they're not going to be able to do this offseason because they have Montez Sweat making a ton of money, even if they franchise tag him, that they would have done otherwise. They have $100 million in cap space. They got to spend it on somebody. Well, and I, I was kind of following. I followed Grant Paulson, who covers the uh, commanders out in Washington for radio, and he basically stated that the commanders really wanted to re-sign Sweat. And they were offered a third round pick for sweat. And they said no. So they forced Chicago to pay the better amount because they wanted sweat. It sounds like they weren't willing to give a contract extension to Chase Young. So they got a third round pick for him. And they said this should be good because the injury history has been there with Chase Young. Yeah. And that's what I was going to go to is if you're a coach and you're looking at a guy, okay, who are we going to trade for? Not just coach, but a GM. You look at a guy, okay, we need a defensive end. There's two in Washington that are pending UFAs. Do we want the guy that's been consistent, been healthy, and does not have the baggage of being a freelancer? Or do we want the guy that's had the injury history and we probably got over, we're going to have to overpay both if you get them. Let's go for the sweat round. And that's, and that's the what other, they did. I had no issue with it. That's the other thing, too, that Grant Paulson said. He said a source said that the team views the trade of uh, Chase Young as a potential addition by subtraction. Interesting. Uh, somebody on the text line said, guys, all you had to do, though, was sign Sweat in the offseason, and then you get to keep the second-round pick. Yeah, but Sweat's probably not signing there. Yeah. yeah. You get him in so you can hope to sign him. And you can franchise tag him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a choice. For the next two years, you're staying here, yeah, but buddy. Then he holds out. <laughs> cool. Then don't play anywhere. Like, yeah. Those are his choices. Well, then how does that benefit you, BK, if you're the Bears? Because he has to play for you. The way that the rules are structured now, he loses out on millions of dollars, and he's not a guy that was a top five pick the way that Chase Young was. He loses out on millions of dollars if he doesn't show up to camp. He loses out on even more millions of dollars if he doesn't show up to play. He's going to play. Man, hell, you're going to get paid more than you're worth in Chicago. Yeah, he's I gonna, think it sounds great. I think the franchise tag is like $25 million. Defensive so. ends are expensive on the franchise tag. Did I miss this? Did, tra- did uh, Montez Sweat sign a contract? No, he said that he's not. I, he said he's so. waiting until the end of the season to decide what he wants to do. Got somebody on the text line that said, guys, Montez Sweat signed. I, I no. had not seen anything about that. Okay. No, I actually just, think I sure just read something I from didn't miss something. Paulson that put that out there. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we got to do our football pick him a day early this week because T-Bone's going to be out tomorrow. So we'll get into that coming up in 15 minutes. I will warn you guys, I hate every pick that was available this this week. Um, every the, single one of them. The stakes are super high this, this round. If we can make it happen, we'll... Uh, we'll work true. that stuff out. But well, we're going to have a T-Bone punishment at the it. end of the month no matter what. So we'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But next, I am curious, for you on the text line, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. What is the bare minimum that the Cardinals could do this offseason where you would still feel optimistic for 2024? I'm not talking about firing Mo, firing Ollie. Let's be realistic here. What could the Cardinals actually do this offseason where you leave it? It's the bare minimum. And you say to yourself, okay, I think they're going to make the playoffs this year. What would you need to see them do this offseason? We'll give you our thoughts on that and hear from you coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. on this one i saw yesterday kyle reese on twitter asked a question that we've been thinking about a lot as well what is a realistic outcome this offseason that would be in your mind the bare minimum for the cardinals to accomplish that would still have you feeling optimistic for 2024 so basically what would it be where you're like man that is the most boring offseason possible but i can see how it would work 
That is essentially what this question is asking. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's start with this, Alex. Is there a way to accomplish that goal of still being optimistic for 2024 if the Cardinals do not sign in free agency one of Snell, Nola, or Yamamoto and also do not trade for one of the guys that you can convince yourself as a number one starter? I'm talking about Logan Gilbert, um, Dylan Cease, those types of players. If they don't get somebody in that category, can they get you optimistic for 2024, or is that the starting point for the bare minimum in your mind? That's the starting point. Absolutely not. If you don't sign any of those guys or make a trade for one of those guys, you, you can't get me optimistic for 2024 because you don't have a game breaker. And we've just seen that the Cardinals try and throw numbers at it in the past, and it doesn't work. You're going to need somebody who is in the elite conversation, and by that I mean who's available because – we all agree nobody's really in the elite conversation among this class. But if you don't get anybody in this top tier, then it's a failed offseason, in my opinion, because you're you're spewing out false optimism that this team's going to be good when you're throwing guys who are probably twos and threes to be a team that can help you win a, a World Series. Yeah, I think I agree with you because I was just thinking like, OK, if they're going to do like the Cardinals of Cardinals off seasons and do the bare minimum and they don't go a top tier, I I don't think I would go into the year telling the fan base when we're there at opening day going, this is a playoff team. I'd probably be going, I have no idea what this team is. Because yeah. I was thinking like bare minimum of like Sonny Gray, Eduardo Imanaga, Rodriguez. So or Rodriguez. Here's my, here's my thought process here. Eduardo Rodriguez, Sonny Gray, Seth Lugo. That feels like in a previous era of Cardinals baseball, you know, a year ago, um, if they had the exact same issues that they, that they do currently – I could totally see that kind of an offseason for them. You're talking about like $18 million for Rodriguez, $20 million, but on a shorter term deal for Sonny Gray and probably like $10 million per year on maybe a two year deal for a guy like Seth Lugo. You're getting out out of there spending roughly $50 million and all of them are more than reasonable pitchers, by the way. They're three of the 20 starters in all of Major League Baseball this year that threw at least 145 innings and had a sub 3.6 ERA. Those guys were really, really good last year. But none of them are considered legitimate number one starters. In fact, Rodriguez is probably a three. Sonny Gray is a two or a three, depending on the year. And Seth Lugo's a perfectly capable number four or five starter for you. But none of them get you super excited. Rodriguez doesn't have crazy strikeout stuff. Sonny Gray is going to throw 150 innings for you. They all leave a little bit to be desired. I think to me, that is like the best case scenario without signing or trading for a legitimate number one. So if that doesn't get you going... I would imagine the answer is they have to get one of these guys. Yeah, right? because that those lists that you just gave, like, yeah, cool. You could look at it and say, oh, yeah, these are capable guys to make you a better team than you were last year. Who's the guy that you look at and you say, oh, crap, we got to go up against him? You don't, but I would say the same thing is probably true of the Rangers rotation. And I'm not talking about with Jacob deGrom. He basically didn't play. I'm not talking about with prime Max Scherzer. He wasn't yeah, but really the available. The way that Montgomery him. was pitching down the stretch, teams thought the same that they did against Montgomery. That could absolutely be true next year of Sonny Gray. Like I don't think so. It absolutely could be. Sonny Gray was better this year than Jordan Montgomery. Yeah. Like just flat out one for one, he was a better pitcher. Eduardo Rodriguez could absolutely do next year in the postseason what we saw this year from Nathan Avaldi. They're not all that dissimilar as pitchers. And, and to be fair, I, I don't think Monty had that resume of, oh, bleep, we faced Jordan Montgomery. I think it was, 
you know, Montgomery's just pitching really well. It was not the oh, crap that Zach Wheeler getting ready to start game one. So, and I'm not telling point, you fair. should be excited about this. But I do think like this would be very similar to the Rangers rotation that we saw that just won the World Series. That doesn't mean that's what it's going to look like in the postseason. And, and I'll say this, and I'm not trying to take anything away from the Rangers. I think this Rangers rotation is going to be viewed more as a one-off as we get further out from this World Championship. So if that's the case, you cannot build a rotation like that. And that's why I would crush the Cardinals for an offseason like that. Though, yes, they did do what they said and went, hey, three starting pitchers. You didn't get that one guy that I say, you know what, though he may not be a number one, at least you got that too, that for now you can say he is a number one starter. Yeah, I I don't know that I would crush them for this offseason, but I would say you didn't learn the lessons that you were supposed to. I would say this is this is not changing the model at all. This is just rehashing the same model that we've seen here in St. Louis for the past decade that has resulted in zero World Series wins and since 2013, zero World Series appearances. So how could I really get overly excited about this? I don't, I don't think you can. So I agree with you guys. That's what I wanted to get to was I think the bare minimum starting point for this offseason, for this team to be considered a quote-unquote success would be you got to sign one of the number one starters or trade for a number one starter. You have to get Snell, you have to get Nola, you have to get Yamamoto, or you have to go trade for one of those guys that fits into that kind of a criteria. I think that is the starting point, and then we can have our conversation from there. Alex, what else do you think they would need to do for you to have a bare minimum offseason where you're feeling good? I think the way that they do the bare minimum and I say, look, this is an, this is an offseason that I say it was a success. You get a guy who slots into your number one spot in your rotation and then your number two. That's the bare minimum for me. Like, I'll figure it out with the bullpen. I think Zach Thompson, if he's in the five spot, sure. A little worried about the innings, but we're talking bare minimum here. If you don't walk away from this offseason saying we've got a clear-cut number one, Nola, Snell, Yamamoto, a clear-cut number two, Gray, Eduardo Rodriguez, Imanaga, then it's it's an offseason that still is left to be desired. For me, I would say you got to sign someone in that top tier, the Nola, Snell, Yamamoto. got to sign somebody in the second tier, the Gray, Rodriguez, those names. To me, you have to sign a third starting pitcher that is healthy and not a guy that is, hey, Tyler Malley could pitch in May. To me, I, as much as I don't mind the idea of Malley, my minimum would be he's available and like Seth Lugos. We know for a fact that we can write him in pen as our number five, and then you use Thompson as the six. And then I would also throw in here, and I got a long minimum list here, but I, I would say you got to sign at least one bullpen arm that I would say that can be a seventh inning guy that you slot ahead of either Jojo Romero or Giovanni Gallegos because I still think that they need to sign two bullpen arms but if they said you know what we'll throw numbers at one bullpen arm one slot in that bullpen and we'll run the train between Memphis and St. Louis and we'll we'll figure that out with a guy that's got options but you need to sign one guy that I can say you know what for five to ten million bucks that guy's going to come in here on whatever that deal is one two years and he's going to slot in around that set six seventh inning role Jesus your bare minimum is like six different things but that, I mean that's a, the, like typically I'm not that way with the Cardinals I typically have more of a want list like I still want a center fielder there this is how desperate they are for pitching like yeah, they, they their minimum list should be almost what their like ideal offseason would have been like two years ago, which was let's just spend a ton of money. That's why when I asked Michael Gerstad when we had him on like a few months ago, and he's like, I really don't think our list is that big. I'm like, Michael, I don't know what list you're looking at, but you might need to recheck it because it's pretty big. He checked his shopping list by accident. Who are the free agent starters that fit into that tier two category that you're talking about? Because like, I think it is just 
Snell, Nola, Yamamoto in terms of free agents that fit into tier one. Do you guys agree with that statement? Yeah. yeah. I would say Gray, Rodriguez. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that comes into my mind. My, oh, yeah, Montgomery. He's definitely in that list. I, would you put Imanaga there? I don't know if I would just because there's kind of an unknown. I think it's – I think I'd still put him in that, though. The, depending on the report that you listen to, that you read, he's either a mid-tier starter or a back-end starter. So I'll go with the latter. I, I would Cardinals say, will go with the former. <laughs> I would say probably not for me, but I, I don't know because I'm just going to be totally frank with everybody. I, I don't know enough about Shota Imanaga to tell you where we should put him in this category. But maybe, maybe, depending on who you listen to. Is there anybody else? Would Charlie Morton fit into this criteria? He's going to be 40 years old, but he's always been really good, and you can convince yourself that he is that playoff performer. No, because I don't wa- I don't know if I want to play the game of, hey, let's hope age doesn't catch up with Marcus him Marcus Stroman? I would put him in Tier 2. I don't know if he's a Cardinal, but I, I would. I'd be shocked if they sign him, but I'm just yeah. out of curiosity who else fits into this criteria. Um, would Kyle Hendricks fit into this criteria for you, or would he be no. a Tier 3 pitcher no. at this point? No. Tier 4. Is there anybody that I've missed that you guys think should be deserving of fitting into this tier two? I don't think so. I, don't think, so. I think those were the names. Kershaw? No. I, I assume Dodger retire, so. But or Rangers. Sure. Yeah. And I don't even think he would do it. Walker? I think uh, he's yeah, tier three. I, I think he's tier three, but like fringe. Like you could probably squint and say tier two. Yeah, I could probably put Waka in a tier two for me. Giolito? Tier two? Or tier no, three? three? I think he's three tier three because sure. you got to get the best out of him. I think you guys are right. So. Tier one, you've got to sign one of the following. Snell, Nola, or Yamamoto, or make a trade for the equivalent. Second thing you have to do, sign one of Gray, Rodriguez, Monty, or Stroman, or trade for the equivalent. And then tier three, we can disagree. I I actually think the bare minimum for the offseason is about tier one and two. I don't think it really comes down to tier three. If they sign Aaron Nola and Sonny Gray, and we disagree on whether or not the guy that they got as the number five starter is good enough then so be it. But if they go out there and get those two guys and get the bullpen arm that you're talking about, T-Bone, we're going to be willing to live with whether it's Seth Lugo or Tyler Malley or whoever it is. If we're arguing about the number five starter coming into the season and they've got insurance of a Zach Thompson or Matthew Liberatore as that number five starter as well, we're going to be fine. They, They can figure that part of it out. The hard part is the front end of the rotation. Yeah. That's really what determines whether or not this could be a successful offseason. I don't think there's going to be a scenario where they go out and get a five starter where we say to ourselves, that guy being the number five starter means that they failed this offseason. I'd be pretty surprised by that. Now, we still agree that they should sign a five starter, right? Because Absolutely, I, yes. I, though I agree with what you just said. of Provide like the upside. Okay, I was going to say, I, I agree with we're nitpicking if we're going, well, I like Lugo, you like Malley. We yeah. love Paxson as a show. Um, but I, No, we don't. I, I we think don't. you the, the minimum is you got to sign somebody for the five. That way you do have that insurance of Thompson and Libertor as those six, seven, on top of a McGreevy, Graceffo. Does this change so at all if they make a trade first? Like if they say we're trading Gorman for Cease, do you change what your minimum expectation is for that second starter? Well, no, because you got your you got your no. top guy, and now you need to sign another one. See, I almost maybe it's just I'm so needy. Um, I almost change what my minimum is and say, okay, well you just traded for a top guy, go sign a top tier pitcher too, because you just pulled yeah. a massive piece from your offense to go out there and let's build that true one two punch that the Phillies have. I hear you. I I don't think that I would go that route. Like if you have Dylan Cease and Sonny Gray, I'd feel pretty good about what your front end of the rotation is going to be going into next year. And if you end up lacking offense, specifically with a left-handed punch because you traded Nolan Gorman, which I think they would, you can acquire that at the deadline. If you really end up being in a place where you're like desperate 
to go get that left-handed power bat. Those guys are typically available there. And I feel like it would change for me because Cease isn't making a ton of money. So it means then you still have money to spend on a tier one pitcher. That's fair. I think it would add more for your tier three is what that would actually do is now instead of going out and getting a guy that's like three to five million dollars or a guy that you're buying low on. I think it might be something where you like maybe you could go get Charlie Morton as your third starter on a one year deal worth 17 million dollars. I really like Charlie Morton. I think he's a very good pitcher who ended up getting hurt down the stretch this year. Now, that's part of the risk with a 40-year-old pitcher, but his stuff is not like Wayno. He's still throwing 95. The guy's got really good velocity and is striking out the world even at his advanced age. So uh, that's the kind of thing that I would consider. Somebody on the text line said, where would Glass now fit into this? He's tier two for me. Yeah. I would have him in that criteria with Gray, Rodriguez, Monty, Stroman. He's tier two. I don't he, think he could. Fe- he can't be the top guy that you had this offseason. I, I agree because he has injury history. He he's like a tier two pitcher with tier one stuff. Absolutely, he's the upside you're going for. But again, if I'm doing that, I need to make sure I have the innings to cover. Yeah. And then if I'm doing that move, then the focus becomes, all right, I really need to make sure I get a good third starting pitcher for the rotation. Yeah, like I don't know that you can do a glass now plus a Snell. I, I think instead what you'd hope to do there is a glass now plus a Nola. I, I think the, all of this stuff is intertwined. Yeah. Depending on what you do in one bucket, it affects what you do in the next bucket. And that is, to your point, T-Bone, about if you trade for Cease, what does it mean for the other moves that you make? I, I think if you end up trading for Cease, what it's more likely to do, and we can get into this later on, is it's more likely that you now go out there and get a legitimate center fielder. Because now you're probably pulling Edmund, putting him at second base. You've got that great infield defense again, and now we can go out to center field and get a guy that actually profiles to be an everyday center fielder for you. So, And maybe that becomes a need instead of a want at that point in time. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're super excited. We're going to be joined by Darren Pang, former Blues analyst, was on TNT for the call last night. He knows this team as well as anybody nationally. What did he think of what he saw from the Blues last night? We'll get into that with Panger coming up in less than 15 minutes. Our football pick'em going into this weekend is next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. BK, it's time for our football pick this week. It is the start of a fresh slate, which is great for me, hopefully, because I have been punished in each of the first two iterations of this plan, Alex. This month, we're starting anew, and oh. T-Bone's going to be out tomorrow, which means we get to do it a day early, which I has Alex this. very upset. So stupid. Just call in if you're off. <laughs> I hate making picks on I'm Thursday when this line could change to benefit me. I'm too or busy. Or could change to negatively affect you. No, you're tra- You're traveling. You're in a car with multiple people. I'm going to be Tell talking to shut the hell up and let you talk. No, you just shut up and do your picks That's now. Right. Last right. time I picked on Thursday, I went 0 and 3. Oh, wait a minute. You did too. And you did too. Well, I plan to be better. Well, we'll like do better you. this week. Stupid. Like you, We're I do the I exact same this. thing next week because I am going out of town God, next Friday. Come on. <laughs> so well. All right. T-Bone, you can go ahead and get us started with your one-point pick this week. If you're new to this, by the way, we have three picks each and every weekend. The only rule, really, is that it has to be a side, no no over-unders, no prop bets, and the other rule has to be played before we get on the show on Monday. So no Monday night football picks. T-Bone, what do you got? All right, so my one-point play, play, I'm going to start in the NFL. They got to bounce back. They, They laid an egg last week. They gave the Panthers their first win of the season. 
and they're going up against a team that's lost three in a row in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I like the Texans, minus three. I think they can win this game. I think it's going to be one score just like every NFL game. I think they can win this game by a touchdown. So give me the Houston Texans bouncing back. C.J. Stroud's going to play well. Tank Dell second game back. Minus three versus team. I'll go ahead and go next. That is the one that I have as my one-point play as well. I like the Texans a lot in this spot. I've been burned by the Texans this year. One of the biggest issues about picking games this week in the NFL specifically is that there's like 10 games where you don't know what you're going to expect out of the quarterback play on either one side or, frankly, both sides. There are so many starters that are down this week or guys that have been benched, guys that are you're not really sure who's going to play, like with the Cardinals this weekend. I think there's a chance Kyler Murray plays. And if we were doing this tomorrow, I might take the Cardinals plus the eight points against the Browns if P.J. Walker starting on one side and Kyler Murray starting on the other. But we don't know that yet. So I'm going to try to be a little more risk averse. I like the Texans. I like their quarterback. I think they have a significant advantage. Well, my one point play is a game that I do know what's going to happen at the quarterback. And the guy that I'm picking is going to outplay the other quarterback. So I'm backing the Bengals minus one and a half against the Bills. I they're a home team. Bengals are what now in the midst of a three game win streak. Buffalo looks like a lost team on the field. And on top of that, they didn't really do anything at the trade deadline to make them get excited for the second push. So I, I think the Bengals can win this one. And I, what they're fresh off of that victory against the 49ers. I'd say watch out Buffalo. So Bengals minus, minus one and a half is my one point play. I will go ahead and take this once again. Son of a- <laughs> Please tell me you took the bills. I also love the Bengals on Sunday night football minus the one and a half. I think last week we saw the real Bengals show up finally. They were coming off of the bye week. They were fresh. Joe Burrow looked like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL once again. If you could place a bet right now on Burrow to win MVP this year, I actually don't think that's a terrible bet because nobody else, while he was looking like a shell of himself, really ran away with that award. The Bengals end up going on a run here the rest of the way and finish the way that they did last year, maybe even a little bit better. He's going to have some showcase game. He's going to be in prime time a few different times so far down the stretch. I like the Bengals a lot. I think they win this one. I think they win it by like seven to ten points. It's only one and a half point line. <laughs> Such a loss. I love Cincinnati this Can week. Can I change mine? It is my three-point play oh, going into Sunday. Oh, God. No. Now you removed your hand <laughs> off the chess piece. No, by I did Josh cut Allen, me off. Josh Allen is also hurt. He did not participate in practice yesterday. He's dealing with some kind of an arm issue. So so freaking stupid. All right. Well, my two-point play, and feel free to jump on board this one, boys. <laughs> Choo-choo. <laughs> How about them Bulldogs? Give me Georgia minus 15. Man, they're bringing their fastball. All this hype around Mizzou. You know, all their top 15 program. They might have playoff aspirations. They might win the SEC East. Georgia, not only here's that, then they get placed at two. That's all the motivation. Kirby Smart needs to say, we're being disrespected. Give me them Bulldogs. Minus 15. This is going to be a shellacking this weekend. Ugga, here we come. I've got 15 and a half. You good with that? Yeah, That's give what it, it to me. Right now. I say 30 give it. and I would take it. Okay, give them 30. I'll no. take you the alternate spread. Give them 30. I want that one. All good right. for you, man. You put your money where your mouth is. I respect that about you. <sighs> I'm, I'm torn on this one, but I'm going to go my number two play. I'm taking the Seattle Seahawks plus five and a half against Baltimore. I know they're on the road, but I look at Seattle as a team that feels like they're about to break out. And I look at Baltimore as a team that's still wondering who they are. You've got a new defensive player for the Seattle Seahawks that they acquired. You're looking at an offense that is starting to really click on all cylinders. And here's a little betting tip for you guys. uh, As an underdog, 
Pete Carroll is 41-25-3, and three, so I'm going to back him as the underdog here, plus West, five and a half. East, they're like playing 10 a.m. their time. Shut the hell up. This is a loss. Shut the hell up. That's my two-point play. Be, feel free to grab this on Monday when this is a loss. I won't be here, so please be sure to grab it. It's not a real thing. I don't know how to feel about that one because Tanner has told me repeatedly that going West Coast to East Coast is a real thing. game. It's not a real thing. That's I a like how like well. we're like, hey, here's the three best games you should watch the NFL. And Alex is like, well, I would take these in the pick em. I wouldn't touch these games. I'm not going for best games. I'm going for best games to watch. I'm going for games to win. I'm these not sure if you remember, losses. but I'm not sure if you remember, but I went 2-0-1 last week to make sure I didn't lose. So why don't you save your your no. ish talk to the guy who can't get wins. That's still behind this guy's 3-0. and And was in first place again. Yeah, don't, don't listen to anything I have to say. I'm, I'm not about to be out here talking trash. I, I have no trash to talk. Um, my final pick for the week is also another one of the good games. Eagles at home minus the three points against the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> don't know what else to throw in here. <laughs> Just can't do it anymore. <laughs> Every freaking time he picks the same damn picks as I do, and I get them wrong. <laughs> Maybe you should come prepared with a couple extras in case this guy steals them. Listen, if you're worried about the Eagles, I get it. They lost to the Jets. They end up struggling for about a half against the Dolphins. They only the Washington Commanders last week by seven. There's some questions about whether or not Jalen Hurts is indeed hurt. He's got a knee issue that he's dealing with. He doesn't want to talk about it with the press. He's dealing with something. This Dallas defensive line is really freaking good. And last week, they looked awesome against the Rams. I think this is a completely different level of competition. I'm going to take the Philadelphia Eagles. I will once again test my luck by picking against the Cowboys. Give me the Eagles minus the three points as my Two-point play. Is this your three-point Just ride it into my damn spot. You know, I had an, an extra one to use, but I don't feel as... It was my one that I was in between on on the one or the two-point play because my other one was Pittsburgh minus two and a half versus Tennessee. I don't feel comfort, confident in that one. Philadelphia minus three, I absolutely feel confident with. God, you suck. It makes you feel better. I like that pick. I'm not going with it, but I do like that pick. Close because I'm not picking against with the two best teams in the East playing. Um, my number, my three point play. I'm going back to college football. I, this team almost laid an egg, and this feels like a trap game because they got Michigan coming up. But I think James Franklin gets the Nittany Lions back on track. Going to Maryland minus eight and a half. They're a better football team than they've showed the last two weeks. Losing to Ohio State, almost laying a stinker against Indiana. I think they right the ship. I like them minus eight and a half on the road against the Terps. Is that because you saw the Terps lose to Illinois? Yeah, And you were like, that team's not good. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and take the team that I know is pretty good in Penn State instead. You lose to Illinois. You suck. (laughs) So basically. I don't care if you got five wins. Okay, so so BK's five points tied up, and I've got four points tied up in my game. So if we both win, then. It's a good spot for us. I got four. If we both lose. We're we're riding together. We ride together if we die together. Bad boys for life. Bad boys for life, brother. God damn. I hate this. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer. But next, Darren Pang's going to join the show to discuss what he saw from the Blues on the ice last night. Darren Pang, TNT NHL analyst, next here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. better hockey analyst in North America than Darren Pang. We got to hear him on the Blues broadcast for years here in St. Louis. Now he's doing work up in Chicago and he's continuing his national work on TNT as well. It was a pleasure to be able to see him last night on TNT as the Blues were taking on the Colorado Avalanche and it is a pleasure to be joined by him now here on 101 ESPN. Darren, we appreciate the time as always. We sincerely thank you for hopping on with us in what is obviously a very busy schedule for you. I want to start here. You have the perspective now that is a little different than what you had previously, where you could take the 10,000 foot view on the blues and tell us what you're thinking about this team without having to see them on a night in night out basis. What is your perspective of this blues team through the first eight games of the season? Well, I mean, I'm seeing a little bit of what we saw last year, um, which, which was kind of teasing in some aspect. It was, uh, there were moments where, where I thought last year between the benches, boy, this, this team's going to turn it right around. And, uh, and then there was other games that um, there just was no fizzle. There's no bite back. And I, I know I like to say a little, little spirit in the night, a little gumption, but I mean, that's, that's what this game is all about is not going away. So um, I think those inconsistencies are, are still something that that's plaguing the team. They, they can go into Calgary and win. They can, you know, they can go into, uh, Vancouver, although there were some penalties there that as I watched that game, I'm like, oh boy. I mean, that puts you on your heels when you're, when you take a penalty 17 or 18 seconds into the game. But, um, so all that being said, I think that's my best analysis. I've been trying to figure out what, what kind of game they want to play or have to play consistently and have everybody on board to play that way. Um, so, you know, does it start with five on five and, and keeping pucks in the offensive zone and, and grinding down low? Um, does it, or does it start with maybe a couple of power play goals to get the confidence going? Because it's obviously been a big struggle for the Blues so far this year. You know, Panger, when it, when it comes to the inconsistencies, you know, last season we just saw defensively this team looked lost on the ice, but offensively they could score goals. It seems like it's flipped this season to where defensively they do look better than what they did last year in front of Jordan Bennington, but the offense yeah. has just gone silent. Why do you feel like that happened? Yeah, what a flip flop. You're right. I mean, it's been encouraging to see Colton Preco, you know, play uh, play a harder game in front of the net, and and then, um, you know, and again, even last night. I mean, the type of quality chances that Colorado generates is is um, is almost not fair um, because it's it's just so hard. They they move it down low. They punt it to McCarr. McCarr dances the line and he shoots it or he sends it to one side for one time or he's got Ranton in front of the net. I mean. You know, it, it reminds me, honestly, of the old Edmonton Oilers days and how it can put you on your heels. But, but all in all, um, I would say for me, I would take, I would take my druthers on a on a harder defending game, and playing meaner in front of my net, and and eventually the offense will come, rather than have a have a lot of fancy offensive plays um, where it's not hard on pucks, but you're making these great little rush plays and and dancing at the blue line. And you're soft in front of your net because you can't win being soft in front of your net. You just can't. But in the playoffs, or if you get down to the crunch, you can win two to one, and that's what it's all about. And that's what the Blues did in '19. If you've got a tough defense and your goaltending is, is able to see pucks and get some protection, then I think the offense will come up big when it needs to come up big. 
Panger, I think you saw last night one of Robert Thomas's best games that he's played so far this season. You know what the potential is with that guy. When he's on his game, what's going right for him? What did you see from him last night that hopefully can sustain now? You know, the thing about Robert is he's an elite passer. And last year proved that. He was one of the best slot successful passers in the NHL. So if he button hooks wide and, and goes out towards the hash mark, um, he'll find somebody in the slot. Um, so the players have to be ready for that. But, uh, I mean, last night I, I thought getting to the interior was, was better last night for Robert Thomas. I, I still think he's got, he's got so much game. He's got such a great brain and hands. Um, but I guess the first thing that I noticed is getting the puck towards the net. It ends up being a goal with Bouchnevich making a really great, uh, great screen in front of the net. Um, and, then, and then, obviously, you know, he's asked to be a leader. He's asked to, he's asked to play hard in all areas. He's, he's asked to win board battles and come to the bench exhausted. And, and, and that's going to be essential for Robert Thomas to, to continue to evolve that way and, and be an elite player in this league. So, um, you know, that, that was what I saw last night, a little bit more in the interior. We're talking with Darren Pang on uh, BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. He was on the broadcast last night for TNT, Colorado and St. Louis. Panger, through the struggles last season, Doug Armstrong labeled it, you know, we're entering a little bit of a a transition into a new era. He called it a retool and he said, you know, we'd like to be like the LA Kings that we're turning this thing around back in the playoffs in about three years. After seeing them in that game yesterday, does it feel like they're on track still in that retool that Doug Armstrong has talked about? Uh, that, that that is always tough to say. I mean, you know, I I know the vision of of Army and 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 how he can honestly he's one of the very best in the NHL at kind of compartmentalizing you know emotions versus where we're at and 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 seeing where the prospect pool is and how long you have to wait and and how many players are on the roster right now that are just you know they're maybe a, a cut and paste players if you if if I can say it that way you know meaning. You know, that who knows where they're going to be at the end of this year, come the deadline, or who knows if he's going to commit to some players to begin next year. So that would open up, that would open up a lot with the cap going up um, and the free agent pool going younger. I, I mean, that's where I look at Army is, is you know, almost what he did when he, when he traded, uh, you know, Yuri Laterra for Braden Shen, when he, when he traded um, the picks to Buffalo for, at that point, uh, not or in his prime or not yet in his prime, a Ryan O'Reilly. So uh, I could see Army evaluating, you know, the current roster, not players on long-term deals, but the current roster of players on single-year deals and just deciding that that's not going to stick or that is going to stick and, and going forward that way. So, I mean, you could possibly see a, a whole, like a completely new five guys up front uh, for next year after free agency and, and, and after the draft and what have you. So I, that's, to me, where 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 Army and his staff are, are really good at, at at doing that. Panger, last season we got about ten games into the year, and Doug Armstrong came out and he had that press conference where he answered all of the questions because he said it's it's my turn to now step in front of the mic and answer any questions you may have. At the time, I thought, man, this this feels a little premature that. This team's three and seven, sure, but it's it's still going to be a good team. And obviously, I was incredibly wrong about that. They kind of had a good feeling of what that was going to be, and it just never got back on the tracks. When you are evaluating teams around the league, how far into the season do you feel like you need to get before you have a feel for what they're going to be that year? That's a, that's a good question. Most people say just following you know Thanksgiving, um, sometime in maybe early December. 
I mean, you've been at it, you know, once, once you get into the beginning of December and, and you know, you, you, let's face it, you've gone through training camp, uh, you've gone through the preseason, um, you've, now you've gone through enough games to say, okay, well, listen, this team is not, they're not coming together, they're not playing hard together, they're not battling hard for one another. Uh, the same players that were scratching and making healthy scratches, they're returning to the lineup and they're not, they're not giving it. I think it's quite easily middle of December to find out where your team is at, to be quite honest with you. And, and, and people might say, well, what about 2018-19? Well, I'll tell you, in 2018-19, as I was between the benches, I said it a few times. All I said was, when this team decides to check their ego at the door, this is going to be an unbelievable team. And, and, and that's kind of what happened then. It wasn't a lack of effort. It wasn't a lack of bite or, or lack of wanting to win. It was just that there was more added players that were getting assignments that the current roster wasn't getting, and there was a little confusion. Once they figured that all out, and once Alex Anderson, you know, put himself in a position to move up and down that lineup and everybody saw what he did, that's when they checked their egos at the door, and that's when they became a great team. Um, but you can tell night in and night out if there's that, if there's that togetherness and then there's that, that camaraderie to say, we're going to do whatever it takes to sit together and play hard together. So I would say middle of December is the time that you figure that out. And Panger, final question that I've got for you. I, I don't even like asking the question. We push back on it all the time. But I wanted to get your opinion because you know the man well. You know this team well. We get a lot of listeners that text in and say, hey, Craig Berube is part of the problem here. He's not the right guy to get this thing back on track. When you hear something like that and you know what this team is going through right now, how, how would you answer the question of is Craig Berube the right man to keep this team on the rails and then eventually get them back on track and get them back to the postseason? Well, that, that's part and parcel. There's two, two ways of looking at that, and I understand the fans' frustration, but, you know, it, it, it's also the evolution of what kind of players are being developed, whether it's in the NHL or, or in the system. And, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, Craig Berube, as we well know, is a heavy player, uh, get pucks down low, don't waste shots falling from the outside. Hold on to pucks. Hold on to pucks. Be strong on them, and then pump them back to the points. And I mean, I I can be watching a game and tell you exactly when Craig Ruby's a happy camper and watching the way the team plays. I mean, there's there's no denying that. But you know, there are a lot of young players around the NHL, and the Blues aren't the only team that has them. You know, they come from different mentalities. They come from a fancy little go through the neutral zone play, and if it works, it works, and if it doesn't, they don't necessarily want to come back hard in their own zone. Um, they don't want to. You know, they don't want to battle for the red line to get it in deep or battle for the blue line to keep pucks. And, you know, coaching's tough right now. I mean, you can't be as hard on these players. You can't sit, you can hardly sit them down. You know, your GM's going to have the agents down at his throat calling them. And, you know, you've got to be nice and gentle to a lot of these players. I mean, it's a different, it's a different way. So what I can say to the fans is we've been lucky in St. Louis to have Craig Berube. And, and, if, it's, and if time comes to an end, just think of the great things that he's done with the St. Louis Blues. He's trying everything he can possibly try to do it and, and get to the players and create the kind of environment that he wants to create with that team. And so um, always tough when you have a, a transition and, and a different style of players. Panger, you're always the best. It's great to hear your voice. It was great to see you on the call last night. Have a safe trip back to Chicago. All the best to you and the family, and we look forward to seeing you in St. Louis real soon. I look forward to it as well, December 23rd.
That was Darren Pang joining us here on 101 ESPN. Huge thanks to him for hopping on as always. Alex, the biggest thing that you took out of that conversation with Panger was what? It was kind of his last statement there on, on Craig Berube and just the tone that he had with it. Look, Panger doesn't know anything on that side of it. This is all hypothetical. But, man, the way that Panger sounded like was, look, Craig Berube has been a phenomenal coach with the Blues. He got the best out of a group that no other coach was able to do. Uh, but it just might be to the point where right now you're wondering if he can get the best out of these guys. And the way that he phrased it to where, you know, you you have a coach and you look at the development of players and how they develop with that coach. You look at the system and you look at the roster you have in place and you decide what's best. So who knows what's best, but that's what I took away. I think the question with Barubi and this team that has been assembled, this roster that's been assembled for him remains what it has been at all times. Can he win this way? And this is not a shot against Craig Berube. I continue to believe that Berube is a really good NHL coach who will be immediately one of the most sought-after coaches on the market, if not the most sought-after coach on the market, if he were to be let go here in St. Louis. Somebody would potentially fire their coach to hire Berube because he's that good. He's Mm -hmm. the Stanley Cup winner uh, as recently as a few years ago. The question, though, is can you win with guys like Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo and Brandon Saad and Yakub Rana and with this style of defensive core that is more puck movers than it is stay-at-home defensemen? And if the answer to that question is no, because it is harder to move the players than it is the coach, a lot of the time what teams will do is change the coach to find out, okay, if you can't make it work with these guys, Let's see if the next guy can. And the answer might be no to anybody. Like the answer very well may end up being, yeah, the players are the problem. And you fired a really good coach because you messed up with the players. And we might look back three, four, five years down the road and say, oh, boy, man, they really messed it up there. But that's that's what they have to determine this year is, is this a player issue? Is it a coach issue? Is it a little bit of both? And if the answer ends up being either a coach issue or a little bit of both, they might have to end up changing the coach. Unfortunately, unfortunately that's the easy route to go with this one. But I mean, the, the reality with this one is he's the right coach. You just got to get through the bad contracts that you're in right now with the roster you have in place. So you can develop this roster a little bit more towards Barubi. Um, guys like Dvorsky, guys like Jimmy Snuggerud, those seem like more Craig Barubi type players. But the problem that's is three years. you're three years away. But I mean, they'll probably be playing on this team maybe next year or two years, but they're not going to be effective until about three or four years. And for the people, we got a text coming in, a couple of them that are saying way too much inconsistency with this team. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, folks, but the inconsistency you're seeing right now is going to be the inconsistency with any coach you bring in. This isn't a coach problem. This is just a on ice issue that the Blues have gone through in the past with Mike Yo. They went through it before Ken Hitchcock. And if you fire Craig Berube, you're going to be right back in the same spot. Now, that doesn't mean it can't be fixed by a new coach. Like, maybe if they run a different style of system, like, it could look different and the results might end up being better. I don't know if that is or is not the case. I don't know how anybody can tell you either way. But this is the system that they're running right now. And with this current group of players, it's clearly not working so far. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Would you be interested in the Cardinals adding a center fielder this offseason? And one of the numbers nerds, Alex, I thought had a really interesting read on Aaron Nola versus Blake Snell. I want to hear this, hear your guys' reaction to that. We'll get into it coming up in about 15 minutes. The Juncture is next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. 
Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. T-Bone on BK. T-Bone, what do you got for us today in the junk drawer? So today, the Atlanta Falcons announced a new special, I guess they must do this every week for every home game, a mm. new, like, special meal. And it's got kind of a St. Louis flavor Is to it. Is the McRib back? This week. No, but it does deal with ribs. Oh. And I said Falcons, not McDonald's. So? Same same thing. They have a Chick-fil-A in theirs. Yeah. Down well, there. It's not open on Sundays. Correct. Um, but- Even on... <laughs> Hold on. Like, I know they're not open on Sundays, but they're not open on Sundays in a football stadium? Yeah. Well, it's Sunday, man. So when do they operate in the football stadium? Saturday. Well, they have other games there. Yeah. Oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. That's so for eighteen out of the fifty-two weeks, they're like, nope, sorry, no. When it's going to be as packed as you that, can ask. That's been going on right. for like four years now. Ever since the stadium opened. Yeah, no, I get it. It's just I can't open on a Sunday, man. <laughs> it's the entire let's let's put one of our restaurants that don't open on Sundays into a football stadium. They should have a hobby lobby there too. Do they not open on Sundays? Huh. I don't go to Hobby Lobby that often. My wife does. My wife does, too. I, I don't go. I'm going to Hobby Lobby. I'm staying home. Sorry. Anyways, Atlanta Falcons. This new special item that they've got, limited edition item. First off, it comes in a, like, bowl that is shaped and looks just like Mercedes-Benz Stadium, where they basically just cut off the roof of it, and that's where they put it. Is that, like, something on. you take home with? Like a souvenir? It looks like it. That's it looks cool. kind of cool. That's pretty cool. But so then what the meal is, and it's got a St. Louis flavor to it. It is a full rack of St. Louis style ribs that are stuffed with mac and cheese. Ooh. And then the rest of the container that is still around there where you got these ribs surrounded is filled with kettle chips. I'm in. Sounds for 30, fantastic. For 35 bucks. No, I'm not about That's ribs. That's a full family. Yeah. I'm not about I'm ribs. In. You don't do ribs in public, man. You do ribs at home. At a football game? Yeah, you don't do ribs in public. I mean, your other options are like nachos or a Burgers. greasy ass cheeseburger. Or a hot dog. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I'm not in ribs. You oh, don't I'm do so you don't do ribs in public. Now, I'm not like probably, you look like a mess. I would I'm, not do this if it was at a Cardinals game in the middle of July. Yeah, like, that sounds terrible. But at a Falcons game indoors, yeah, I would probably no. do this. Like you get there, you you go in 30 minutes before kickoff. You try and find a spot and you eat these before you go to your seat. No. I'm in. Well, no. I would eat them at my seat. Well, see, oh, I yeah, wouldn't do yeah, that. Yeah, you're even a but, bigger slob than I thought. Yeah. You're going to barbecue so you everywhere. Gotta balance, you got to balance yeah. it on your leg. Yeah, that's, uh, not that. Come on, man. The, you, Where you, are you just, eating it? Have you been inside of a stadium before? Good well, luck. There's areas you can sit down at yeah. in a stadium. At a stadium? No, there's yeah. not. You don't eat yes, ribs. You at a football stadium? Yeah. This is like when you you don't eat steak. You think they just the have a bunch of... area? You think they just have a lot of tables? Yeah, they so, typically yeah. do. Yeah, most teams do. Yeah, they typically have, have like side tables that you can stand at. Have you the ever Chiefs been to a football doesn't have that. <laughs> well, they should upgrade. Well, probably because they're paying Patrick Mahomes all the damn money yeah. and they can't afford the tables. Yeah, hell, they should cut Mahomes so they can get new tables. I don't believe this. Someone said I'm things. I'm sure that's a someone thing. I mean, said, I've never been to Mercedes, Mercedes Benz, but I'm sure they've got so, that. Someone said that's thing, a common thing. Things I hate to say, Alex is right. Yeah, you don't eat ribs out in public, especially if you're sitting in a oh, seat see, where you're crammed into totally a little disagree. area. I, I've I've come up with the perfect way to find out if I found that special special someone. You know, do you know first how much date of, eat ribs, and if they go on a second date, fine at a in. restaurant, fine not at a football. You know how much of a of a piece of you know what you are if you're sitting next to somebody and eating a rack of ribs. Oh no, man, I'm, they have like legit nice restaurants in the stadium. Yes, this is crazy. <laughs> like a sit down Arrow, area. Arrowheads just just coming up from behind. No, man, they should probably upgrade Arrowheads. No. <laughs> This is I, this is they trash. have like this kind of stuff at like Bush Stadium too. So like I thought it's like common across Center. all stadiums. Yeah. 
Yeah, where you can just like get your food, and then there's a bunch of tables that you can go sit at. Yeah, this is trash. Not the Chiefs. You're game. the you're the biggest jerk it's been ever. To a Cardinals game. <laughs> That's what I don't understand. Bad moment. Clearly. No, you just you just went to a uh, it's a bad stadium all your life. It's actually an excellent stadium. Well, it doesn't sound like it. I don't, I don't have side tables. I can't have ribs there because I can't <laughs> sit at a table. Someone said, and now we know why Tanner is single. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll play a game of Believe It or Not. T-Bone's leaving tomorrow. He's getting one more opportunity to be able to belt it out over the air. We'll do that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, guys, a nerdy nerd has an interesting take on Nola versus Snell, and I think it explains why some of the projections are lower on Snell than we might otherwise anticipate. We'll get to that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's T-Bone, and I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So as I opened up The Athletic earlier today, Alex, I saw Keith Law had a piece out, and I said to myself, I'm going to close this. Got to read that one. Got to read that one. He wrote about the top 50 Major League Baseball free agents. Shohei Otani is the headliner, but the depth of the class is, quote, weak, end quote. So he has Shohei Otani as the number one free agent. We don't have to talk about him here in St. Louis. He doesn't pitch. Hey, he's not season. number one free agent anymore. He's not an option here in St. Louis. Turns out if you don't pitch, you ain't coming here. Cody Bellinger, he's not an option for St. Louis either. But at number three on this list, he has Aaron Nola. And I thought what he said about Nola and his write-up, what, write-up was interesting, especially when you compare it to what he had to say about Blake Snell. He said, quote, I think Aaron Nola is a hit and ace, someone who will take off for whoever signs him next and shame on the Phillies if they aren't that team even though he might end up in the $25 million range as opposed to the $30 million range that he's likely to be worth, end quote. So Keith Law, who is a nerdy nerd, loves the numbers. Nerdy nerd. Is looking at the numbers, looking at the player, scouting and saying to himself, that guy is going to be an ace for somebody. And if the Phillies let him walk, it's going to be a mistake and he's going to get paid less than what he's actually worth on the market. Then he continues. He goes down the list. He continues with his rankings. Again, number three was Aaron Nola. Number four, Yamamoto. Number five, Sonny Gray. Number six, Jordan Montgomery. Number seven on his list. Behind Montgomery, behind Gray, behind Yamamoto, behind Nola. Finally is Blake Snell. Trash. Here's what he writes. Blake Snell is a good pitcher, but he's not a number one starter or somebody who can project as a sub three ERA moving forward. He also has not been very durable in his career. If someone is going to pay him to be a mid rotation guy, they'll capture some of the upside in his healthy years to make up for the years where he can't pitch as often. But if he gets paid like a number two or better, he probably won't end up producing up to that level of his contract. End quote. Those are two very different write-ups. On Nola versus Snell. And those are the two guys that we've spent the majority of our time talking about. By the way, he has Eduardo Rodriguez at number eight on this list. So of the top eight players, I think it is six of them are starters going into this offseason. Guys, what do you make of what he says about Nola versus Snell? Where he says Nola is a hit and ace. He's going to outperform expectations for his next team. And he says Snell is a guy that's probably going to be paid like a number two starter, but shouldn't be. What do you make of that? I agree with the Snell part. 
I'm I'm very skeptical. That's why when we talked yesterday, like the fact that it's dipped down from 30 mil makes me a little bit more willing to dive into it. But it does make me nervous with Blake Snell because I just I don't know if that style is going to mesh well because of the Cardinal situation. But I also don't know if the longevity of that contract is going to match. I'd push back on the Aaron Nola hidden ace and he's going to outperform expectations. I, I, I am concerned about the mileage on that arm. Now, he's found a way to keep himself healthy, but, I mean, we are talking about a 30-year-old that you're bringing in for five to six years and going to say, we need you to be our ace. I, how much of, of his success has been covered by having Zach Wheeler? That's that's the one part that I would say, I don't know if I'd push back on that. 30 mil makes me nervous with Aaron Nola, just like it makes me nervous with Blake Snell, but if you're telling me i got to pay one of them 30 mil... I'm going to back what Keith Law said in Aaron Nola. Yeah, I I disagree with the Nola thing, too, because I, I don't think he is an ace. I, I think, if anything, you're overpaying Aaron Nola if you're giving him $30 million to... Well, to be clear, he said 25. Yeah. Still, 25, 30 mil, you, I, 25 is not an overpay. 25 is about where I think the market is. If you're going above that, then we're starting to get into the range of an overpay. I, I think Nola is not a secret hidden gem as an ace for a team. I think he's a number two starter that can play up as a one for a team when need be. Like I, I think the Cardinals would potentially still be searching for a number one starter even if you had Aaron Nola. I think what he's writing up about Blake Snell, and if this is how baseball is going to view him, whoever gives him the contract is going to get a steal. I, I really believe that because if it, if his market's not going to develop and this is the, another write-up that we're seeing that is like, whoa, 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 cautious with Blake Snell. Man, number twos don't win two Cy Youngs. That that's a number one guy that definitely has the upside as p- pitching as an ace. Like I would say, if you flip those write ups and you told me this guy has a potential as a number one and that team's going to get their seal, I would have assumed Keith Law was writing about Blake Snell because he's just got better stuff. And though yes, he has had years where his ERA is in the threes, that's a number two starter probably. But man, when he is right and he gets he is healthy. You're going to see it again. He's going to win his second Cy Young. You don't win two Cy Youngs by accident. So I just disagree with Keith Law's assessment. I think somebody's getting a steal when they sign Blake Snell. I think why he's doing this, like the reason why he is believing that Aaron Nola has more in there than what he's shown so far in Philly is because of his fielding independent numbers. Now, I don't know if these are going to be realized or not. They may end up going to the next team, and like we just look back on it and say, yeah, when he was in Philadelphia, he was just always a guy that underperformed relative to his fielding independent numbers. It's totally possible because, as you said, Alex, he's going to be 31 years old, and he's not the same pitcher that he was when he was 27 with those underlying numbers. But in his career, or since 2018, excuse me, He's had a 3.7 ERA and a fielding independent of 3.3. In fact, his fielding independent number, which is for those that don't like the nerdy numbers, it's basically, hey, if you were pitching in front of a neutral defense, not good, not bad, what would your numbers be expected to be in that scenario? His numbers are exactly the same as Blake Snell since 2018. The exact same. Now, the actual numbers are slightly different. Since 2018, Blake Snell has a 3.0 ERA and Aaron Nola has a 3.7 ERA. Both of those are great, but this has been a consistent thing with Aaron Nola. You look back at 2019, or excuse me, 2020, he had a 3.1 fielding independent and a 3.3 actual. In 2021, he had a 3.3 fielding independent, 4.6 actual ERA that year. 2022, 2.5 fielding independent, which is basically what we saw from Snell in his actual ERA this year, in a 3.3 actual ERA. 
even this season, he was underperforming relative to expectations. 4-0 fielding independent, which is not great. I'm not trying to sell you that it is, but it's better than his 4-5 ERA from the regular season. I can't explain why that is. I can't. I don't know if that's about his defense behind him. I don't know if that's about the ballparks that he's playing at. I can't explain it. But if that starts to normalize a little bit and he matches more of what the fielding independent numbers are than his ERA has been in Philadelphia, then what he's saying is correct. He will be a legitimate ace because the numbers that he's putting up in fielding independent by year, 3-1-3-2-3-0-3-2-3-4-2-5-4. Those are ace-level numbers, man. Almost every single year other than this past one. So... If you believe that this past year was a one-off and you believe in the underlying numbers, Aaron Nola is not only the best pitcher on the market, he's by far the best pitcher on the market. See, it would be one thing for me if it was, it just happened this year, but it's really two of the last three years that his numbers, his actual numbers have not lived up to what the the FIP was that you said. It's every year. Yeah, but like two of the last three years have really been kind of an alarm bell year for me where the ERA spikes above four. Like if it was just this year, I could totally understand that whole argument and I could go, you know what? Yeah, I think you're probably right. Weird year, stuff happens, you're going to get a blip on the radar. The fact that it's been two of the last three, that's where I would say, okay, that's where it is a little bit alarming makes for you me. go under the hood and wonder what was it. And some of it is home runs. Like, a lot of it is the home run ball has really hurt him. In 2021, he gave up uh, on the season 26 home runs. The next year, 19. This year, 32 home runs on the year. Is that just something that's going to be an issue for him moving forward? Is it a product of the fact that he plays in an NL East where these teams are freaking mashing all the time, especially as he's going up against the Atlanta Braves? Is it because he plays in a ballpark that is more hitter friendly? All of that stuff plays a role in it. If he comes here to St. Louis and you're playing instead of at uh, against some of the great teams that have been in the NL East in recent years, now you're going up against Chicago and Cincinnati and Pittsburgh is it going to look a little better? I would assume the answer is yes. So that that plays a factor in this as well. Either way, I do find it to be interesting that almost everybody nationally that is writing about these things, that either is a scout, has talked to scouts, has talked to front office executives, or has a scouting history like Keith Law does, they're all saying the same thing. Blake's now a really good pitcher, but it's going to cause it's going to be a lot of risk, and he's not going to get as much as people are expecting them to, him to get. You know, Sarah told us the same thing two months ago. Saying, hey, he's probably the guy that's kind of going to get less than what everybody's expecting him to. If he ends up getting that $25 million per year, would you guys rather have Blake Snell at 5 and 25 per than Sonny Gray at 3 and 22 per? I would probably say I'd take Snell. I I think the stuff is better. And I know people don't want to hear me go, it's not just stuff, T-Bone. But... That guy, he's one two side. Yeah, yucks. but how much of that stuff is going to work with Wilson Contreras as your catcher? I mean, I'm not worried. I'll figure that out. Like, I, if Contreras, but you can't, will if, figure it if out. If Contreras can't <laughs> catch Snell, you know what? He's not. He's not a catcher. That's the honest point, and that's where the Cardinals would say he's going to be a DH. If they were, I don't think they're going to do this. So let's say that on the front end. I, I don't think Snell's going to sign here. I think he's going to sign in a bigger market. But if we just go down the path of like, okay, let's see what if this could happen though. If Snell was willing to sign here, and Nola was willing to sign here, and you're John Mosellock. And that meant, okay, our third starter is going to have to be super cheap. <laughs> like, either we're going to the market or we're signing somebody for like $3 million, like a Kinta Maeda, or we're going to have to trade for somebody that's just a back end starter. How would you guys feel if they went into next season with Nola, Snell, Michaelis, Mats, and then fill in the blank? Not anybody that you're going to be excited about, number five starter. Oh, I'd feel awesome about that team. I mean, Zach Thompson is my fifth starter. Great. And if an injury happens with Snell or Nola, then I put myself in a bad spot, but I can't, 
I can't plan my free agency around the injuries. I'm going to plan what I can get the best from. So if you're telling me I get Nola and Snell, yeah, I'm all in. Yeah, I, I think I would be in on that because I think you're getting the best innings eater on the market and you're getting the best stuff on yeah. the market. And I, I think you have that one-two punch that I just mentioned in the earlier segment. You now have your version of Wheeler, Nola, and in fact you have Nola. You just have Snell as your Wheeler and you hope that he can live up to the what you saw this year and early the year prior to that. So I, I'd be all in on that. So if you're learning a lesson from the Rangers from this past, I guess, two off-seasons ago, they went out and said, we don't need one shortstop, we need two. We need our middle infields. We need to fix that right now. And we're not just going to go with some guys. We're not going to go get Dansby Swanson this past offseason. We're not going to go get Trevor Story. We're going to go get the two best guys that we can find that are good offensively and defensively. They complement each other, and one of them is going to be willing to play second base for us in Marcus Simeon. And oh, by the way, they play every day. Like They have everything that we want them to be, and they're going to be leaders inside of that locker room. These are the guys that we're building around. If they went this route, the Cardinals, they would have to be very comfortable with the people that they're signing, obviously, because now you have made a huge bet on those two guys working out over the next five years. Because if they don't, if this goes wrong, you're screwed in every possible way because there is zero flexibility in the short or the long term if you go this route and it fails. But if it works, if the upside ends up paying off, you have just signed a guy that has the potential to be an ace and another guy that Keith Law believes can be an ace. And now you're going into next season with couple of innings eaters, guy that's got some top-level stuff, and now we're really talking about a team that can contend in a meaningful way. So um, I do find it to be an interesting proposition. If he ends up getting less than he's expecting and some of those big market teams don't come calling the way he thinks, maybe the Cardinals can be there waiting in the wings ready to take him on. For Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Believe it or not, coming up next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for happened? Believe It or Not. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we are believing it or not here on 101 ESPN. Let's start with this, boys. The other day, the Oakland Raiders in the middle of the night the decided to fuck. Damn, I haven't done that one in a minute. They decided oh. in the middle of the night oh, in Clint. Las Vegas to fire their head coach. And that wasn't it. They it, also fired their general manager. Can they Believe fire the happen. owner? Probably should. Believe it or not, Deion Sanders will be the next head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Oh, I'm not believing this one. I don't think Deion Sanders goes. I think they'll pursue Deion Sanders. I think Deion Sanders says, yeah, no, I'm good. I'll stay where I'm at right now. But it would, man, how crazy it would be if his son gets drafted by Vegas as the new quarterback and they try and get Deion Sanders as the head coach. But I still think he says no. Surely they're not going to take, is it Shador? Is that the one that's Mm -hmm. quarterback? He hasn't been all that impressive lately. Should he's du- considered to be a top 20 pick. Should yeah. duerly they will. That's a top mistake. Um, Get it? I'm I actually not disagree with it. you. I think Shador Sanders has been really good lately. I was going to say, I yeah. think he's been at least top five 
quarterback in that first round draft worthy. I wouldn't draft Shador. And I'm I don't think Sanders will be the next Raiders head coach. So I'm not gonna believe God, this. You were just such a grumpy old man. Sorry, I'm the I'm one right that gets told I'm grumpy. Uh, the Athletic has Shador Sanders now. at number 24 on their latest yeah. big board. How many quarterbacks go before him? Uh, three, got, I think. I was going to say. J.J. McCarthy they've got ahead of him. And I'm going in reverse yeah. order, just to be clear. I'm J.J. McCarthy is not their number one guy. Oh, no, he's my number one guy. Um, Caleb Williams and Drake May. Yeah. So he is the fourth-rated quarterback in the upcoming class. Either bad year for quarterbacks or going to get a steal late in the round. Of the Probably first a little round. bit of both. Um, the other guys that are currently on their top 50, for those curious that might be fans, of teams that need quarterbacks, and there are plenty. Uh, they have Jaden Daniels also in the top 50, the LSU quarterback. He's a stud, but he's just so small, man. Uh, Quinn Ewers is on this list as well, and Carson Beck, the Georgia quarterback, is coming in at number 50 on the list. Tanner would take all those guys over Shadour. No, I'm not I think it's believe- a bad quarterback class. <laughs> I'm not going to believe this either. I do not think that Dion is going to take the job, but my God, would it be fun if he did? Oh, yeah, I would I, love that. I'd, I would be very curious to see what it would look like. I, the, 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 the frustrating part is I would want I would want to love that team, but God, I hate Mark Davis, so I couldn't like the team. Uh, Alex, what do you have for us today? Uh, believe it or not, boys, for Friday's game tomorrow night against the New Jersey Devils, we are going to see Tori Krug in the press box. I think... They will bench the third pair defenseman. I do not think they will do so. You know what? Believe it. I was going to say the third pair defenseman is Nick Letty and Tyler Tucker. Yeah. And I, Nick I Letty, Tuck- I thought, had a good game. I think Tucker's coming out of the lineup, and I think they will replace him with Perunovic. Here's the thing, though. Oh, see, I think Bortuzzo goes in for Tucker. Maybe. I, I think that if you replace Tucker with Perunovic. I don't know that you're going to want Krug and Perunovic in the lineup together when you're only dressing six defensemen. So you're either going 11 and seven again, or you're putting Tori Krug up in the press box. So I'll say, believe it. So, so here's my thinking here. I mean, it's very clear. Justin Falk was the number one quarterback on a power play last night. He played four minutes of power play time compared to like two and a half minutes for Tori Krug. And if Krug's not playing top power play minutes, What's his role? Because, I mean, you're not putting him out there late in games to close things down. Frankly, that's what Letty and Scandella have been doing. They've been rotating with Pareko. If he's not going to be on that top power play and have success, that's where Scott Perunovic comes into play. I mean, people have been screaming for that. So I'm actually going to believe this one. I I do wonder now that we've seen one guy that hasn't been playing to the level that they need him to. They've scratched him and Yakub Verana. Could that be Tori Krug for tomorrow's game? See, I'm not going to believe it because I don't think they're going to put that contract up in the press box. I, I just don't. It's easy to do Verano one year making, what, like 3.25. You're not even paying half of his salary. Half of it's being paid by Detroit. So I, I just don't think they're going to do it. I think it's more likely, like, as much as I think he probably should be up there, I think it's more likely they're going to end up going 11-7. and seven. And maybe he just becomes the seventh defenseman, hardly plays, and pretty much gets more minutes. But I just can't see them putting him up in the press box. I'm not going to believe it. T-Bone, what do you got? Believe it or not. The Cardinals will jump the free agent market and make a signing before the end of this month. Uh, believe it. I think they're going to sign Sonny Gray. Yeah, he'll be signed tomorrow. Tomorrow? Well, he can't tomorrow. We got to wait five no, more days. Don't. No, you don't. Yeah. It's already been signed. It's just got to wait. Mm-hmm. And the press conference will be tomorrow. Like, it's hey, signed, guys. sealed, delivered the way that Wingo was with Mizzou. Yeah. So it's it's Uh-oh. a fait accompli. But, but he didn't Uh-oh. sign with Mizzou. <laughs> we know, buddy. We know. That's the whole Does thing. that mean oh, Sonny no. Gray's signing with Texas? <laughs> no, he's he's going to end up with uh, Horns Atlanta. up. I could totally see Sonny Gray signing with Atlanta, by the way. That would be a hell of a signing by them. 
Yeah, I could see that. The, but is he he's wanted, from Nashville? But is he wanted in Atlanta? It's a fair question. He's definitely wanted here. He's, there's posters of his face in St. Louis that I know of probably Absolutely. right now somewhere. Moe's got his jukebox on his shoulder playing some sort of romantic song it was outside a of Sunny Gray's not window. a jukebox. Oh, really? Do you know what a jukebox is? Isn't that one of those big things? Yeah. Yeah, I'm right. Yeah, that's I've a, that wait, no, no, that's, that's that's a boom box. box. A jukebox <laughs> is the big freaking things that you see in diners. I've already got the idea for us to do a weekly hit with Sunny Gray next year. It's always sunny in St. Louis. Okay. S-O-N-N-Y. And wow. we can just continue that next wow. year during the like First the of all, way season. to steal off of a television show and way to steal off my ideal for Oscar Sunquist. Yeah, we're going to do that with Sunny as well. Oscar Sunquist. So, Oscar Sunquist. We're going to keep the same imaging. It'll be ready to go. Good. Good, good, it's good, always good, sunny good, in good, St. Good, Louis, good, whether good, it's the good, winter good, or the good, summer. Good. We got sunny here on BK and Ferrario. Sunny and Cher. T-Bone can be Cher. He doesn't get that. Go on. Move on. T-Bone, do you think that they're going to sign him before the end of the month? I don't think so. I think they're going to sign him, but I don't think it's going to be the end of the month. I, the free agent market takes a long time, and I don't think anything will happen until we get closer. Who was the first closer. player to sign last year? Oh, gosh. Well, there was only one player to sign last year. Oh, um, and free agency. I thought you meant for the Cardinals. I'm like, well, they only did one. I guess you could say Wayno. Because most of most of the big ones don't happen until like winter meetings. Winter meetings right around that time, and that's December. So what? I just hate you. What? Well, so clarif- clarify next time. <laughs> that's on me. Jeez, like, I don't me. know who. Who is the next one? To you know who year. signed first? It was the only guy that signed in Wilson Contreras. He was January. Uh, Post winter meetings. Yeah. So that's why I just don't. The MLB offseason, like everybody gets all excited and the free agent market opens and then it's like nothing yeah, happens. You get one week that's like awesome that, and then everything else is just boring. It's not like the NBA where it's like free agent opens or NHL. Or and the it's NHL. Like, boom, 24 hours, everybody signed, all the spots are locked up and you can end the offseason. Well, but that's nobody tampers, you know? Yeah, exactly. 314 399 9646 is the air comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. Uh, guys, believe it or not, Yadier Molina will sign to be a Cardinals coach by the end of the week. By the end of next week. Sure. Uh, like tomorrow. I was going to say, tomorrow's pretty quick. I'll, I'll believe it. Um, I don't know what the coach is going to be. Bench coach, catcher coach, work from Puerto Rico coach. Uh, it's going to be something. He's going to be a part of the organization. Uh, so I'm going to believe this one. I'll believe it too. I'm, That'll be the off-season press conference. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm. A, I'm a little. I don't know exactly what the role will be. I'm starting to wonder if it's not going to be bench coach because I think if it was a bench coach signing, we would have already heard about it. Um, and this is taking longer than I thought based on all the rumblings that started to happen during the DS series. But yeah, I'll believe that he signed on to be some sort of coach by the end of next week. I'm not going to believe it because I'm it would have happened well. by now. I think he's going to get signed. I, th- I think they're going to make it happen. I think they were waiting on the World Series to make it official. Um, I think he will sign with them sooner rather than later. By the way, last year, Jacob deGrom signed on December 3rd. Oh. Uh, Taiwan Walker signed on December 7th. Chris Bassett on December 13th. Zach Eflin was the first of the quote-unquote significant pitchers to sign last year, and that was on December 1st. Yeah, and all those are typically right around winter meetings. And I know a lot of... I've, heard on podcasts and read in articles a lot of guys like to get deals done before christmas or right before new year's so that makes sense well, that, when did when did steven matt sign december 3rd is the it was winter January, meetings this year he? he was november 24th i thought it was thanksgiving yeah november 24th yeah. is when they signed steven matt's the cardinals have done this in the past mm-hmm. where they did it with him they did it with brett cecil uh, 
I want to say. That was, good, that was a good deal. Brett Cecil signed yeah, well, with them early in the offseason, November 12th. No, that was his retirement. Uh, November 19th. <laughs> well, that was about as memorable. Yeah, November 19th, they signed him. Yeah, I don't so. think you're going to see it until after right. winter meetings. So I think what I just heard of this, the common theme of these early signings, we should wait till December. <laughs> no, Sonny Gray, man, we want him. They signed Dexter Fowler on November 29th. Yeah, oh, well, they should oh, wait till December. They clearly <laughs> they wait jumped the market in December, and then they really get screwed. I remember last year they signed uh, Wilson Contreras during the winter meetings. That was on December Who 7th. Who else did they sign last year? Pretty much it, man. Uh, I think th- I think within the next 35 days, they will have one of these guys signed. I think within the next 45 <laughs> days, they'll have one of these guys signed. Someone on the sex line said, so all these early contract signings were just complete garbage? Well, listen, man, they, they're changing yeah. their formula. They're no. changing their model. No, they really were. Everything's going to be A-OK now. All right, coming up next, there was one positive that came out of last night's Blues game, Alex. Believe it or not, there was. I believe it. It was Robert Thomas. We'll oh. explain it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. One positive from the Blues last night and what was otherwise a stinker of a game with Alex and T-Bone on BK. Robert Thomas looks good, Alex. They switched up the, uh, the line combinations. He was up there with Pavel Buchnevich, Kasperi Kapanen, who also had another solid game as well. And a decent amount of the night, they were going up against the McKinnon line, and they more than held their own. The Thomas line outshot the Avalanche while the Thomas line was on the ice 9-2. to two. They outscored them 1-0 to nothing at 5-on-5. Five five. They outchanced them 7-5. to five. Alex, I've been pretty critical of Robert Thomas from what we've seen from him so far this year. A lot of that goes back to what we've seen, obviously, before last night. What changed for him in your mind? Well, first of all, he's shooting the puck more. I mean, he's got 18 shots so far this season through eight games, so we're seeing a little bit more on that side of it. But what's changed for him, at least in these last couple of games, is just driving the offense. And I think some of that has to do with just switching up the line combinations. For some reason, and I don't know why it is, you seem to get the best when Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo split up because it wasn't just that line that looked good. I thought Cairo's line with Braden Shen and Brandon Saad looked good in the first period specifically. I mean, we're, we would have been talking about a Braden Shen goal less than three minutes into that period if he capitalizes on that goal. And that play was solely driven by Jordan Cairo. But what Robert Thomas looked so good at in that game last night was being the playmaker that Darren Pang talked about with him. And again, it's not so much that Jordan Cairo can't play because we've seen those guys at their best, but everybody had a distinguished role on that line. You had the puck retriever in Kasperi Kapanen who utilized his speed. You had Pavel Buchnevich, who that goal that was scored by Robert Thomas, Buch doesn't get any credit because there was no points for him. But that goal doesn't happen unless Pavel Buchnevich goes straight to the net to take the eyes away from the goaltender. So uh, Robert Thomas, despite us feeling like we just haven't seen that that top centerman play, he has put together six points so far through eight games. He's doing really good in the faceoff dot. He's 53.4%. He's going up against the other team's best. And there have been games this season where you haven't noticed that other team's best players and you're getting shots from them. So really he's doing everything we're asking him to do. So the other thing that I wanted to ask you, Alex, because earlier today we heard from Joey that he wouldn't be surprised if there's some changes in the lineup on Friday. He wouldn't speculate on like specifically who it's going to be, but 
it seems pretty clear at this point the team is not overly excited about what they're getting out of Yakub Vrana. They basically mentioned that on the broadcast last night where they're like, eh, Yakub Vrana, it's another turnover, team not super happy with what they're seeing from him. Hell, we don't even have to listen to their words. Listen to their actions. They benched yeah. him in each of the last two games over the weekend. Finally gets an opportunity last night. Looked fine. I wouldn't and say I looked I think good, in the third period fine. they skipped him a couple of shifts too. He wasn't a great player for them. Let's, let's just be candid about it. So... I think there's a chance, non-zero chance, that within the next couple of weeks, they say, you know what, let's cut our losses here. It's not working. Let's give him an opportunity to go elsewhere. Maybe he can get another fresh start. Uh, let's let's go with something else here. We're going in a new direction. And that would require them to waive him, which means that they would add about $2 million in cap space, potentially. Alex, there is a player that is available right now that is a multi-time cup-winning forward. Jesse Puyi-Yarvi? In fact, he just won the cup as recently as, you know, Jack's notes last season. Who won the cup last year? Vegas, Phil Castle. Vegas Cold. Oh, Phil, Phil the Castle Thrill. is still available. And he said earlier today to the Athletic that he's more than happy to basically sign with whoever is willing to sign him. I don't think there's a lot of contenders that are reaching out, obviously. Otherwise, he wouldn't have to be um, talking to Pierre Lebrun in an article about his willingness to play. <laughs> He'd be talking to teams about his willingness to play. Would you have any interest in signing Phil Kessel if the Blues decided to part ways with Yakub Vrana? Uh, I would, but I, I think... So there's two sides with this one. Phil Kessel brings offense. There's no doubt about it. And the offense provides opportunities to get better on the power play. It, it helps out some of these other players that are searching for that right offense. Phil Kessel is also slow. Phil Kessel also last season played a fourth line role, which scored 14 points. So that's a really good numbers for a guy who was on your fourth line. But Phil Kessel also does not play defense. So you're essentially getting minus the slow because Yakub Verana is fast, but you're kind of getting what Yakub Verana was. Now, Phil Kessel, I think, is going to play more to the role of what Craig Berube is searching for, meaning you're going to forecheck and try and retrieve pucks. And he's got a really good shot. So, yeah, I would be intrigued with this if it's coming in on a league minimum deal and you explain to Phil Castle, like, look, we need you to help offense, but you can't just come in and be a defensive liability because we're trying to make strides towards something. Is. It is who he is. And that's why I just I'm I'm skeptical with it, because if you're if you're trying to hammer home the focus on both sides of the ice, do you really want to bring this in? And have him play in your top six, top nine. I mean, if you're bringing him in and you're putting him in Yakub Verona's spot, you're playing him with Kevin Hayes. You guys cool with that? How does that benefit you? Now, he's going to play on the power play. That, so maybe your power play gets going. So this is the thing. Do, do I think it's a great decision? No. Do I think that it's changing anything of what you have currently with Verona? Does he like bring a different skill set to the table? No. It's different. I think he brings a little bit different of a play because he does forecheck and he can create opportunities out of nothing. He does go to the areas that Craig Berube is asking Yakub Verana to go to. And Yakub Verana is, is not yeah. going to those areas. So and, if he, I, I think the first question they have to ask is this, are any of our young players that are down in the AHL ready to play right now? And I would say no. And if, if the answer is no, if if you don't have Zach Dean ready, if Bolduc's not ready, if Godet's not ready, if all these guys, they say to themselves, eh, they, they can't really help us. That's when you then ask the question of, okay, is there somebody available in free agency who can? And the top guy on that market is probably Phil Kessel right now. So if that's the place where you land, I could see how they say it in themselves. It's probably something we should explore. Is Phil Kessel going to sign in St. Louis? I would, if 
48 hours ago have said probably not. I think he's probably going to wait for somebody that's more of a contender to call him. After reading the article earlier today, oh, yeah, no. I think he'll sign with whoever is willing to sign him. Mm-hmm. And I think it will cost you nothing. $800,000 is the minimum. If you decide to waive Yakub Rana, you would have that money available to you right now. So I, I would say, sure. Like, what what are you really... What are you losing out on by signing him would be my response. So yeah. that's that's where I currently land on the scenario. I'm not calling for them to do it, but if they decide to waive uh, Verona, I, I could see how it ends up making sense for them. Coming up next, we're hitting the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm BK coming up here in just a couple of minutes. I'll give you a chance to score a pair of tickets to see Blink 182 coming up at Enterprise on August the 10th. Keep the text line 3143999646 close to you. If you are the winner of those tickets, you will get them coming up here in just about five minutes or so. Alex, to finish off the show today earlier, we talked about what the bare minimum is for the Cardinals this offseason to do uh, in order to make you feel optimistic going into 2024. I think we're all on the same page. I don't think there's a way for them to make you feel optimistic without signing a tier one starter. And what I mean by that is like the tier one starters that are available. I'm not saying, hey, you have to go out there and trade for Garrett Cole or it's a failure of an offseason, Mo. Uh, obviously, that's unrealistic. But Snell. Nola, Yamamoto, those are the only three free agents, in our opinion, that fit the criteria of a Tier 1 starter. If you don't sign one of them, then you have to trade for somebody who does. Dylan Cease would fit into that criteria. Logan Gilbert fits into that criteria. Guy who we've talked about a lot that does not fit into that criteria, though, is Tyler Glass now. He would be in Tier 2 for us, and you have to sign or trade for one of those guys as well. Sonny Gray, Eduardo Rodriguez, Montgomery, Stroman, G... uh, Giolito would not fit into this criteria. Glass now. Those are the types of pitchers, really solid mid-level rotation starters that either have a question with health or a question of consistency long-term. I think that's the starting point of what would make you optimistic about the Cardinals moving forward. Yeah, I mean, the only way that I'm sitting here talking about this team as, well, they've turned it around, and good job by you, Mo, with this offseason, is if you come away with a legit one-and-two starter in your rotation. You have to come away with two guys that are night and day better than Miles Michaelis. And... I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Blake Snell or Aaron Nola or Yamamoto or one of these guys that has this opportunity. But if you walk away from this offseason with Sonny Gray and throw in an Eduardo Rodriguez, to me, I'm going to look at that and say, I still think you needed somebody who had game-breaking stuff. Yeah, and I agree with everything that you just said there. you got to get two top guys. To me, you got to sign a third guy as well. You can debate who that is, Mally. Lugo, whatever. But then you also, to me, another minimum is you've got to go out and you got to get a bullpen arm that I can say at least is in the conversation with Gio and JoJo. That our, has to be there. Our text line said, wait, so you guys think that Cease is an ace? I didn't say that. I don't think that Cease is an ace. I don't, I don't think, think anybody available is an, is an ace. I don't think that Nola is an ace. I have no idea if Yamamoto is going to become an ace, but it's hard to project that when we have never seen him pitch in the big leagues before. I don't think that Logan Gilbert is an ace. I don't think you're acquiring an ace, quote-unquote, this offseason, Zach Gallen, not available. Uh, going out and getting a Garrett Cole, not available. Prime Scherzer, Prime Verlander, none of those guys are available this offseason. So what you have to do is settle for what 
is out there. And what is out there is a guy that in a game one of a postseason gives you a really solid chance. Nola can do that. Going out there and getting Snell, he can do that. Yamamoto, you believe, could go ahead and do that for you. If you're able to go out there and get one of those guys and you add him to this team, you feel pretty good about your chances. You might end up having a guy on the other side in Zach Wheeler who's better than your dude, but you can at least go blow for blow and feel like you've got a fighting chance in that scenario. But no, I don't I don't think any of the guys that are available to you are legitimate aces this offseason because I don't think those guys are out there. And yeah. Unless you end up trading like Jordan Walker, and I don't foresee or want them to do any of that yeah, you got to be pitcher by committee but you got to be pitcher by committee with talent at the top of it not what you had last year he's alex that's t-bone on bk 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line if you are texture number 101 and you can tell us the stadium that t-bone was talking about earlier today where they are having ribs with chips and mac and cheese all on one platter what is the stadium that will be selling that this weekend they even have tables where you can eat it at if you can give us that stadium if you can give us that stadium (laughs) name correctly and your texter 101 you are going to see blink 182 next august for alex and t-bone i'm bk alex and i will be back tomorrow t-bone off for the rest of the weekend the fast lane's coming up next here on 101 espn You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.